Hi, I'm with Tim Cohen. He's sort of a celebrity uh, author, and he's got so many books in the works. But one of his famous books is called The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, which explains a lot about uh, King Charles and how he is maybe the Antichrist in the coming days and how all the ritualistic, the symbolism points to him. And he's done extensive amount of research over the years. Uh, and he's going to be relaying a lot of knowledge. And I'm sure a lot of you have already seen his videos and explanations about this. And we're going to cover the Bringingham's uh, ceremony, the opening ceremony. And there's tons of symbolism in that ceremony that Tim's going to be covering in detail. So uh, I'm really hoping you guys will enjoy today's uh, podcast. And I'm going to introduce you to Tim. Hi, Tim. Hello, Sima. How are you? Good. Thank you for doing the podcast. And yeah, nice I'm to meet you. Yeah, so I'm really uh, fascinated by the subject of what you covered uh, about King Charles being the Antichrist. Um, so I don't, if you wanted to start on the ceremony. Uh, let me give a little intro. I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy in 1987. And uh, 1986, a year before I left the academy, I became a Christian. I was about six months before graduation when I left to uh, research and write. The Antichrist and Cup of Tea, and then another series, Messiah History and the Tribulation Period, which uh, is not out yet. It'll be the longest term work in terms of what I've been writing by the time it finally comes out, written over multiple decades. But that's coming. So the Antichrist and Cup of Tea was originally an appendix to that. And let me show the book. Before we dive into this material on Charles and the ceremony, I want to put some context to why we're even addressing it. So the book is titled The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. And uh, on the book, let me share that, is an heraldic achievement. It's called a coat of arms, you know, more loosely. Yeah. This is the heraldic achievement of Charles. Uh, I started with this, um, an unofficial version of it, and the name calculation, which we'll get to in a late, later uh, segment of this interview. And so I was identifying Charles um, in 1987 as the Antichrist foretold in Revelation 13 on the basis of this, which we'll describe, and the name calculation, which I had before I left the Academy. We'll talk about how all that came to pass, but that's the reason I've paid attention to Charles over the years. Of course, I wrote this book. The first edition was published in 1998. Oh, I never get the direction going correct in this here. Well, you mentioned right, that here's the first edition. Uh, you so, mentioned but, earlier that this was an appendix to another book? To a series, okay. uh, the Messiah History and the Tribulation Period series. So if I come to that, it's not yet out, but these are the volumes okay. in that series. And uh, they cover most of the Bible. Wow. But it's a systematic theology that is uh, extremely different from the others that exist in the world, in history. It's a Messiah-centered systematic theology that takes theological understanding to a level that the church has not had before, though the apostles knew some of it uh, based on statements they made in the New Testament. And in fact, their statements are the basis for uh, for the uh, core piece of it, which I can talk about later if you wish, but it's described yeah, well enough that would be here great. on the site. So I have some appendices to this in the Antichrist and Cup T, 
was originally that, but it became too large and needed to be out sooner. So right. thus, the first edition came. Yeah, and there have been a number of events historically. We'll talk about some of those. I know you really want to get into this, so I'll give a little brief uh, intro here, and then you can ask your questions in relation to a ceremony that happened in Birmingham, England. Sure. July 28th this year was the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. The 22nd, I believe it was, Commonwealth Games for 2022. That's the largest uh, set of international games in the world. Right. Um, other than the Olympics. In this case, roughly a quarter of the, uh, or excuse me, roughly a, a third, I mean to say, of the global population at this point is part of the British Commonwealth in one form or another. So they've got, I think it's 56 nations. I'd have to look at the exact count at this point and 72 nations and territories that comprise the British Commonwealth. And so this event was highly significant. Um, now, I want to be clear, uh, folks, as I start out showing this, I've never said it was my opinion that Charles is the Antichrist. I've never said that. I presented in the first edition of the Antichrist Cup D, here's the evidence, draw your own conclusion, that kind of an approach. But it has never been uh, a question in my mind, and when I publicly speak about it, I'm very clear on that matter. And so I want to be clear about it today, Seema. I'm not saying that this is my opinion that Charles is the Antichrist. I'm fact, you know, matter of factly stating he is, and God showed me that. And that's the whole reason I began to research him in the first place. So when we talk about uh, what I had early on, meaning while well, I was still a cadet at the Air Force Academy in 1987, it's the Lord himself who led me to that. So that, of course, led to all these books and many more besides what we've mentioned uh, that are coming. And so I've paid attention, you know, as best I could to Charles while working on a, a lot of books at once. And I was sharing in 1987 with people that Charles is the Antichrist. So let's just talk about this ceremony. I'm going to walk everyone, the audience here, through some core portions of it. It was the, the main ceremony itself was a bit over two and a half hours in length. So we're only going to get to some pieces of it, but I'll try to cover the highlights. So when this thing um, starts, where it begins is an explosion of a star uh, somewhere in space beyond Saturn. So we'll just watch as that happens. This is the explosion. And at the beginning of this, they show it happening just beyond Saturn. And then these glowing shards, these pieces, these crystals from this blown up star descend to Earth and they land in Commonwealth nations and territories. That's what they're portraying here. And when they have landed, there are so-called dreamers who find these shards outside their homes in the various territories and nations, the 72. One in each. This here is Stella. She's named for Stellar. That's a, her name is an abbreviation of that. She goes and finds a shard. She picks it up. And then she prays to it. And we'll see that in a moment, and then I'll fast forward. Let me see if I can fix the visual quality here, because it's not giving the quality I expect. 
to make a little better. Well, what's interesting about it is it it's kind of is it trying to say that it's the falling stars, the Satan and his minions are falling to Earth. The the exploded star is supposed to represent Lucifer, Satan. Okay. So we'll we'll get to that as we proceed. So you see, she's praying to this crystal, crystal uh, much as New Agers would use crystals. Only she's, you know, explicitly praying to the thing. And in the ceremony, we're told that she expressed her hopes and her dreams and so forth to this thing. All right, this is a bard. Now we're at the ceremony itself. Itself, the bards um, are performers, but they're also tied to druidry in some cases. And here they are tied to druidry. This is one of the lead bards who's also picking up a crystal. Now, he's at Alexander Stadium in Birmingham, England. He's making very New Age pronouncements. You've got a pagan drummer here who's going to uh, ring this thing in as it starts, you know, doing a, a shamanistic kind of a thing almost. And as we proceed, I'm going to skip over a lot of this. What happens after this, apart from these dreamers and performers stretching their hands into the air, you know, like they're waiting for something, is we get all these homes, as you can see, floating across the realm. They're reaching the stadium. This is the stadium here, coming over it. So Stella was in a home. This is her home right here, where you see my mouse, I'm circling it. Yeah. All these homes were ripped up off the ground once these crystals were brought into them by the so-called dreamers, meaning the individuals who retrieved the crystals are in these homes. And then there were anti-gravity effects, you know, lifting these dwellings off of the ground and literally rapturing them, floating them to the stadium across forests and oceans and lakes and, you know, cities and so forth to now appear over the stadium. And they're going to land and exit with their crystals. They'll show some of that here. Let me pause it. Right here is the Tower of Babel, and they explicitly state in this ceremony that this is the Tower of Babel more than once. Wow. And you see it's only two levels high. They show it wow. being built, you know, in various um, sequences of the ceremony, and we'll get to that later. So Stella's going to land. All these people are doing, you know, pagan dance before this whole thing is... Though they're waiting for something. It's an absolutely remarkable um, ceremony in terms of the choreography and yeah. all the rest. So we're going to skip over some of this here. They must have spent a ton of money doing this setup. I'm sure they did. So the dreamers have landed. I'm going to skip over that portion. Now they're waiting for Charles and Camilla to appear. King Charles III was Prince Charles at the time this event transpired. It was six weeks before the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. So they're driving these vehicles into the center of the stadium, and from above, they're basically forming a Union Jack that you can see above from these vehicles that were produced, uh, various models produced historically in Birmingham, England, where the ceremony transpired. This is one of the dreamers, you know, arriving by vehicle in this case, but we're supposed to understand that they all came down in those houses and that's what they show with stella later they'll show her actually uh, actually exiting the house so right after this occurs charles is now driving on in his aston martin he's driving it himself with camilla this is a vehicle he received right after his investiture as prince of wales and that investor transpired in july 1969 it was a gift 
I think a birthday gift if memory serves. They make a big deal here about the fact that he had it converted to run on cheese and wine, but what that really means is biofuels produced from cheese and wine you know, as part of his eco-fascist agenda. So now he's getting out, and the bull that we're going to see is not yet uh, in the arena, hasn't entered yet. Her purse has a star on it. It does. All right, so I show this because Charles is overseeing this entire event and he is personally opening the ceremony. It hasn't actually opened yet. So we'll get to that later. But he's overseeing everything that transpires from here. All right, there's the Union Jack formed among the cars from above the stadium. It's making the UK flag, is right? intimately associated with this. Yeah, the Union Jack flag is what it's meant to portray. You got this very religious ceremony that's already begun with the singing and so forth. Now, from here, we're going to see there's a lot of paganism and a lot of sexual Satanism in this entire event. I haven't really pointed that out. I've mentioned it in a couple prior interviews. Let me just give an example. Um, see if I can get to it. It kind of has to buffer so I can see what I'm looking for. We'll come back to some of it here. There we go. There's this so-called transgender, meaning a sexual Satanist and certifiable lunatic by the last name of Lemon in this balloon, which is shaped like a lemon. Uh -huh. And he's overflying this transgender is transvestite, overflying these people. These are the dreamers. They have the crystals. They're just not holding them at the moment. Right. Dancing beneath this fellow. Okay, lots of satanic imagery that comes into play here throughout. Yeah, definitely. How do you know about the transsexuals uh, with the lemon? I've fully documented this ceremony okay. in the second edition, the Antichrist and Cup Tea. There's a chapter devoted just to this because it's that important. Okay. So uh, everything about it, including who's behind it and so forth, is documented in the book. And the book goes to press this month. So folks, you can order it now. The Antichrist and the Cup of Tea from Prophecy House. So let's continue. The second edition. You see, do you see notice the little demon? Yeah. That was going in the background behind this fellow with the Bible. Uh-huh. What they're really doing is they're they're mocking it. They're mocking scripture. They're mocking the Bible. Yeah, I see uh, the whole ceremony is set up that way. So here he is again. This is the uh, transgender transvestite actually making some rather sick pronouncements. And those are quoted in the book, too, but it has to do with children, so he's probably a pedophile in real life, most likely. But he's making pronouncements in that vein. Hmm. And he's quoted in the book. And the other thing that I noticed about this ceremony is that they're all dressed in, like, cartoon character-ish type. You know, like, even later on. Yeah, well, there are floats, and there are all kinds of things around this that are just... Uh, distractions in a sense yeah. from from the main thing, but 
they're trying to entertain the audience with all kinds of dancing and um, wickedness, basically. So we'll continue with this here. Now, a lot of these dreamers here aren't the athletes, but you see what they're doing? They're making the horn symbol. Yeah. Because the bull is coming onto the stadium here, and they're worshiping the devil. Right. Yeah, these two horns represent the devil, but they're also for this bull, as we're going to see. These are the dreamers, the folks who are dressed in white like this with often plant or animal symbols or sea creatures, whatever, on their shirts. Mm -hmm. Like they're part of a jungle, in a sense. Oh, yeah. I was wondering about that, what all that t-shirt stuff means. Mm -hmm. Some of the images are demonic, but... All right, so these are supposed to be women who've been creating chains and so forth in Birmingham historically, but they're we're supposed to believe that they're enslaved, that they've got this hard labor, and so they're going to be freed from their chains, but what they're doing is they're pulling this ball. This is the idol now. It's coming into the arena, mm -hmm. and it's got this angry demeanor. That's what the red lights and lighting is supposed to signify, Yeah. and at times we'll see smoke coming from its nostrils and so forth. So it's broken free from the chain. There was a chain uh, binding it on this ring. Mm -hmm. It's broken free from that. That's what the women were pulling it with. And now the women are running away. Everybody in the arena is scurrying because this thing is charging onto the arena. So these are supposed to represent, you know, people in a city, revelers. I've so documented these phrases and the names on that head plate on the bowl in the book as well what's being stated there and the names include the names of the royal uh, family members interestingly enough though they're meant to represent um, chain makers and, and other people historically and there are satanic phrases and other phrases having to do with freedom and peace and uh, love and so forth and the serpent even <laughs> on this head plate all documented in my book it was really kind of a pain to identify all those find enough photos that had enough detail yeah, to no all doubt that. it would because there's so much symbolism everywhere mm -hmm. so right now they're all acting somewhat afraid of this thing and you saw those people were scurrying away subsequently the dreamers are here trying to figure out what they're going to do to appease this thing but of course recall they all did the horn symbol with their fingers all right so that's Stella. She's the lead dreamer. You saw her with the crystal in hand. She's approaching this bowl to appease it. She was the first one we saw finding one of those crystal shards. They did mm -hmm. show some others finding those. She was the one who prayed to one. We skipped past some of that. So now yeah. she's approaching it to appease it, basically saying, we're not your enemies. We want to be friends kind of thing. Uh, you know, peace, friendship, love, this kind of new age thing. And of course, it's important to realize, folks, these are new age devices these crystals mm -hmm. where they're dealing with the so-called christ consciousness and so forth in other words an antichrist spirit that is being masqueraded as if it were somehow christian and that's a big part of the new age movement and these are luciferian shards that's what they actually represent in this ceremony from that exploded star that's supposed to represent the devil so she's got one in her hand meaning she's a devil worshiper yeah she's a new ager as are the rest. We're going to see here. So she touches the nose 
of this bowl to appease it. And you'll notice these women who were pulling the chains, they've all got their hands outstretched mm -hmm. to this beast now. Yeah. They're worshiping it. The technical definition for worship scripturally involves five different things. One of them is to stretch the hands forth. Another is to bend the knee. Another is to prostrate oneself before. Another yeah. is to kiss the hand. Um, yeah, as if the Pope, like when he's stretching forth his hand for people to kiss the ring. Yeah. The people who are doing that are worshiping the Pope, whether they realize it or not, the Roman Catholic Pope. Yeah, definitely. They're engaging in paganism. And then um, the, uh, the other one is to stretch forth your hands toward God, you know, toward heaven, as it were. Mm -hmm. The five technical definitions. Well, they do most of them in this ceremony. Other than kissing the ring type thing. That's the only one they leave out. Right. And worshiping this idol. So this is a giant idol. She's basically saying to it, I worship the devil and you represent the devil, so we want to be friends. That's in essence what she is doing here, Stella. She's right. the only one here now in this portion of the ceremony actually holding one of the crystals of the 72 dreamers who retrieved them. She's the lead dreamer in this case. They call them dreamers as if they're dreaming of a better world, you know, dreaming for the future, this kind of thing. Another one stretching out her hands, one of the dreamers doing that, this thing. Okay. See, they're bringing their hands back to their hearts like they love this thing, right? Yeah. Like they're worshiping it. That is what they're doing. They're showing reverence to this thing. So Notice the eyes only... have changed from red to white. Yeah. It's appeased now. So why only show women doing this? Um. We'll, okay, I can say more about that. They're not all women subsequently. The inner group, initially, yeah. is women. The dreamers are, are women and men, and then there's another group that I just call the fluorescent revelers, you know, for lack of a better term, because they've got very fluorescent colors, <laughs> uh, who are, in many cases, the athletes who participate in the games. We'll see them gathering around the bowl also subsequently. But for the moment, just notice it's been appeased. Its color here has changed from yeah. red to white. So now Stella is going to lead this thing away, you know, with some of the other dreamers next to her, the others around this bowl. So at this point, these are the slavish women, I call them that, the, the moppish looking women in the back who mm -hmm. were pulling the bowl by chains. And then you've got right here, the dreamers, you know, and Stella and her little group right here, mm -hmm. leading the bowl toward the Tower of Babel that was in front of it. Now, these are the ones I call the fluorescent revelers. What they really are is um, groups of these athletes who are to participate in the games, and they are representing different cultures and nations facing off against each other in a kind of a rumble-type situation with um, this very hyper dance, and they do different dances for their cultures. Yeah. But we're supposed to believe now that the bull is perceiving that as a battle okay these are the athletes who agreed to participate in this thing and the bull is going to become angry supposedly so we're starting to see that transition so we go from white to green and then we're going to get to the red and you can see they're, they're just being very demonic in their yeah. demeanor and their behavior here like a violent rumble but of course they don't want to be violent right here in the arena but this is what they're intending to represent. When I was so skipping forward a little, here's the bull now. You can see it's red again. 
Yeah. It's facing those revelers who are between the bull and the tower in the background. So the, the bull is facing those revelers that we were just seeing. Yeah. But notice that to, to appease it again, there are some things that have changed. Stella is now on the bull. Yeah. You asked me about women. You know, uh, the woman riding the beast, that motif oh, yes. of scripture is what they're portraying. Yeah. Additionally, you know, the European Union has adopted Europa, the goddess Europa. Yeah. As their symbol, riding the bull. That is also what this represents. So Stella, you could say, is the lead whore, a spiritual whore and a new ager and the lead dreamer because now she's the one who rides this beast. And around it are the other dreamers with their crystals. So the inner circle here is those women who were pulling it with the chains. Yeah. They're, they're sitting before this thing to be taught by it. That's what they're representing. And we'll see this beast, this ball, open and close its mouth at times as if it's speaking. And that's what it's meant to represent. So they're sitting around it. They realize it's angry. So the dreamers are gathered around it with the crystals to appease it again. And now they're going to, you know, worship the thing, further worship it. And bear in mind, again, you get perhaps two and a half billion people watching this, potentially. I mean, a third of the world's population, the 72 nations and territories of the Commonwealth. All right. So among these dreamers, here's a, here's a man right here. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there are some dreamers. You know, here's an, uh, another man, some men, I mean to say, among the dreamers. All of the inner circle are women, though. These uh, hey, slavish or mopish women. And then you get the fluorescent dreamers now encircling it. I didn't point this out in uh, other interviews. It's in the book, but they're making an, an all-seeing eye pattern. So if you view this from above, yeah. you'll see an eye with the bull in the center. And the slavish women forming the... Uh, the cornea, the bull is like the center of the cornea in a sense. Yeah. All right, so notice what's happening here. Stella is actually doing a, a, a new age, uh, mystical, I'll call it sat satanic and Wiccan type ceremony, but it's new age. And she's moving this in multiple directions above and down and in a circle, as we're going to see, to basically um, invite the audience that's present and globally to participate in this and to do a spiritual invitation basically to fallen spirits but it's a demonic kind of a thing and so now the new agers are standing up with their crystals pointing them towards stella and they're going to join in this whole thing okay so they're worshiping the bull as an idol of the devil and their crystals represent lucifer and the bull is lucifer's idol being ridden by this whore this harlot woman So this is a Baal Molech idol, and people get confused by that. They think that Molech was just an owl, but just to clarify it for you folks, Molech was often represented as a bull as well. What we're seeing here, Sima, is the formation of an eye pattern from yeah. above with the bull at the center. Yeah, I see. And you'll notice these two individuals who are flying yeah. in. Yeah. They're going to remove this head plate from the ball, which is actually part of this ceremony. They're like angels. Okay, yeah. so they've invoked these angels to come down, almost like two witnesses, if you wanted to view it that way, but that's no, not yeah. what they are. They're coming to remove this head plate, which is the final piece of freeing this this bull idol, this giant bull of 
totally setting it free. It already broke free from the chains, right? Yeah. And now all these worshipers are gathered around it to say, hey, we love you. We want to worship you. You know, let's be friends. Let's have peace. Don't be angry with us, yada, yada. And of course, Stella's done this thing, and these other New Age dreamers have done this thing with these crystal shards to um, appease the bull and as part of worshiping the devil in a, in a uh, New Age type ceremony. So these two individuals are flying in to remove this head plate. And they're actually going to take it and put it at the base of the Tower of Babel, that tower they were building in the background. Yeah. That's where they put it. We don't really get to see much of that in this uh, video of the ceremony, but that's what they actually do with it. So are they essentially saying that we're freeing Satan and we are going that's to... That's exactly... That okay. they're, they're saying we're freeing the idol to the devil, basically, and they realize that they're invoking Lucifer to do it. In other words, this thing is an idol to the devil. Uh, it's a, to Lucifer, you know, the New Age movement. They're worshiping mm -hmm. this thing, uh, and Stella is riding this beast. They're appeasing it, and they're, you know, the all-seeing eye uh, motif represents Lucifer in this context. Right. They're basically saying this is like the pupil of the devil, in a sense. Mm, yeah. And you can see it from above, pupil as in from the eye. Yeah. And they're worshiping this thing. Again, they're in, they're doing a ceremony around it and worshiping it. And you see what Stella's doing here with the crystal up above? Yeah. They're all doing this because, and notice the dreamers too, they've all now turned to face outward to face the audience. Right. They are inviting the audience to be a part of this. And these... I call them again, fluorescent revelers are facing the individuals who are now facing them with the crystals, right? As well mm -hmm. as the bull. Yeah. They're joining in, in other words. They've, they've been invited, they're joining in, and of course they're inviting the whole audience. And there goes the uh, head plate. And the bull is talking. You can see it moving its mouth at points. Right. Still white here. And they're going to go behind the bowl and place that at the mock tower of Babel. That's where they take that head plate. Do you think the audience knows what all this is? They do know that it's about peace and freedom and dreams and love and all this kind of thing, supposedly. Right. Yeah. You know, and they know that, that that's what this represents, that they're appeasing the bowl. All of that. Lucifer is not mentioned, but everything else basically is uh they even have um lead singers and bands that have typically been taken to be occult or satanic yeah you know whether the bands themselves meant that or not the lead singer black sabbath sings right. at this event ozzy osbourne sings at this event yeah very old time um musicians were like duran duran and other like the songs that they were playing yeah duran duran's at the end on this one, and they have a big crucial role to play actually with their songs. So, at any rate, okay, now does it get more obvious than that that they're wow, you know, they're bowing down to this thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look at this, and that is overt worship right there. Right. There is no question about what they're doing here, and they do it multiple times. And see what Stella's doing above? Yeah. Continuing to invite the audience. You know, the whole world, basically. And let right. me let me make a point on that. You know, Charles is on record, and I actually quoted him saying this in the first edition of the Antichrist of Kepti, which was uh, published in 1998. 
Yeah. He's on record multiple times over the decades saying he doesn't want just a British Commonwealth. He wants the Commonwealth. You know, it's, he wants the entire world to be uh, part yeah. of the Commonwealth. That's he literally has said that. You know, that's what he meant. That's what he said. He's explained it. He came to the United States and visited in the past, and they talked to him about the Commonwealth, you know, and how he represented it. And yeah. he basically stated when he came that he wanted the United States to be part of the Commonwealth. Israel was invited to join the British Commonwealth before the first edition of the Antichrist Cup came out under Charles. But so the point is, he now has it. the whole world again. Yeah, they want the whole world to be a part of this, in other words. But right now, most most literally, it's just the, the British Commonwealth, you know, potentially viewing this since they're participants in the games. And Charles is overseeing all of this. So during, They're going to hold hands like it's one, you know, blissful little worship service. Right. So all the nations that they represented in during the games, because, you know, they paraded through, are they basically accepting to become part of this beast system? Well, yes, they participate in this. Right. We'll see. They're participating in this event. They're not just observers. Right. Their athletes are participating in this event. So notice the tower back here. Yeah. It's laden with displays, but it's no longer just two levels high. It's now four levels high. Oh, wow. And the bull is, you know, it's behind the bull. You can't really make it out here, but the head plate is right here. Yeah. Somewhere back here. It's here. It's here. I think it's right here at the moment. But the demeanor of this bull is about to change again, as we're going to see. Um, so we get to it here. Well, we'll just skip past that. So they're, they're parting ways. All these people have no discernment, you know, what they're involved in, most of them. Yeah, it's pretty demonic. Even as overtly so dancers. Okay, so they are they are showing the head plate. Okay. I forgot they showed that landing. Anyway, there you go. So all these patterns are meaningful. I do my best to explain them in the book. Yeah. But the bull here is going to now parade around and he's going to turn and face the tower here pretty quickly. But notice what Stella's doing? Yeah. She's riding it, parading that crystal before everyone. And notice this light here with the bull. At times you'll see it get brighter based on the angle. Yeah. All right. I don't want to go through all this because we'll spend a great deal of time on it otherwise. I want to get to key stuff so we've seen that this idol is being worshipped yeah we've seen the luciferian shards we've seen you know the population of the world invited right. to participate so before you go there's names on the outer ring what is all that about mrs stokes uh mrs these yeah those are names on the head plate oh okay um, there's some of the names, so they're they're honoring some of the past people involved with chain making and things like that. And there are a lot of things that they show, including the names of the nations participating when they parade around the field later on, right? Uh, on these displays, as well as colors to tell us, you know, when the bull's angry and yada yada. At times, I thought this was rather interesting imagery. I haven't shown this. Uh, right here in um, yeah. any other presentation, but Stella is right here. 
That, all of this is very choreographed. Right. And that's meant to represent the devil right there with her, huh. creating with the bull Lucifer, you know, right. the the day star, if you yeah. will. Okay. They've captured all that very carefully. So to the, show well, that to the audience. And you'll see right behind that light, that big light we were just seeing is Stella with the crystal. Yeah. Now it's not nighttime yet. We're still daytime in the arena, but you can see it's darkening outside. Right. All right, now it's facing the tower. And all the things they're showing in the tower is very meaningful as well. And they'll cycle through a bunch of things to the ceremony. They even have the Red Dragon of Wales displayed on the tower at times, mm -hmm. uh, such as when the Welsh team is coming on to the field, for example. I noticed their promo t-shirts, it had the same red dragon on it, too. It's the national symbol of Wales. Oh. It was adopted in 1958 as their national symbol, but it is the red dragon of Revelation 12 and 13, identified as Satan. Yeah. So I'm not going to explain who those people are. I'm just going to skip past here. So they have uh, now configured themselves meaning the dreamers, as others we just saw coming out of the field, these moppish women, yeah, to prepare for the athletes to parade around this field and then enter the arena right here. So each athletic team is going to come through here, parade around, they're going to circle this bowl, mm -hmm. and then they're going to enter right here and take up stations around the bowl. And you'll notice there are no flags here right now. Right. But you do see Cook Islands here. So this is them showing the, the team right. that has just entered the arena. And they'll cycle through all of them. So they basically, all these countries and nations accepted this. Yes, they all participated in this. So they all do this with very cultural displays and so forth as they come on and I you know they're announced and you see their flags and their names on the tower right. in the background and this whole portion takes a lengthy while because they're bringing on literally 72 teams and the ter the teams of 72 nations and territories so 72 teams 72 countries basically represents no world, no right? not countries some of the countries have more than one territory Oh. So it's 72 territories, but actually 56, if I've got the number right, nations of the Commonwealth. Okay. But 72 specific teams. So oh. there's a team for each territory. All right. So I'm going to skip past these things to um, get to other stuff. Oh, and I should say, I will see it. I'll mention it when we get to it. I have pointed out in some interviews that sexual Satanism was a very big part of this whole ceremony. It was much more involved, in other words, than just uh, the lemon um, so-called transgender. Uh -oh. Yeah. He was kind of the heart of it, as it were, mm -hmm. when they were building that up for the audience. But they were really heavily pushing it throughout this entire ceremony. And I'll give an example of how they did that uh, a bit later. Okay. 
So in other words, blaspheming God, blaspheming God in that way was a, a big part of the whole thing. So now we you can see some of the teams here mm-hmm. that have gathered around the bowl, and there are more coming still. But notice the flags. They're starting to set up their flags right. all around the bowl. And they'll do that. They'll encircle the, bat, the uh, bowl, the idol, Baal Molech idol, right. with the flags of the nations. You know, and historically, pagans would take the idols of their quote-unquote gods when they were defeated in a war, for example. Uh-huh. Uh, and they'd put them before the, the feet or the base of the idol or the so-called god of the party who defeated them. To acknowledge that as the superior god, if you will. Oh, yeah. At that time. So uh-huh. by p- placing the flags before this bull idol, it's effectively saying we worship this idol. That's what they're doing. So they're, yeah, they're worshiping themselves. Lucifer. Yeah. They're submitting themselves to this religion, basically, right? In every way. Yeah. So this bull, is it representative of the golden calf in the Old Testament? Yes, and we're going to see that. I will come back to that, actually. Thank you for bringing that up. All right, so I'll leave it here. I'll go back to where they were encircling the bull and just talk about that for a moment because that's important, very important. But anyway, I'll just say with this photo, they're commenting on what's happening here. Yeah. And frequently the bull is shown in the background behind these Mm -hmm. reporters or you know, commenters, whoever they are. Yeah. They have zero discernment. You know, they interview the athletes and so forth. There's no discernment whatsoever that they're worshiping the devil in this whole thing. It's all like what we're one big happy party and family is basically the attitude. Yeah. Um so, so if any of them have any inkling at all what they're doing, you know, in their own souls. Like that. I would think so, because not all of the athletes participated. Some chose not to participate, but you don't ever see that or hear that Yeah. in this ceremony. Um, based on the reading I did, there were right. some who were not present for some of this. They they went and did their own thing elsewhere. That's good. Uh, how much discernment they had, I don't know, but they chose not to participate. Yeah. So coming back to this, um, this happened right before... Uh, Rosh Hashanah and Tabernacles, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles this year. Yeah. And uh, each year at Tabernacles in the Law of Moses, uh, you know, initially starting under Moses, Israel would sacrifice 70 bullocks besides other animals. Mm -hmm. And those 70 were intended to represent the table of nations that came out of the scattering from the base of the Tower of Babel after Noah's flood. Mm-hmm. the table of nations they were representing those 70 nations and christian theologians and others have historically suggested that um those sacrifices which represented the number of the nations were mm-hmm. on behalf of the nations as if it were israel under the high priest of israel doing these sacrifices to atone in some fashion or stay god's anger in some fashion from those nations who did not know the god of israel and did not worship him that is not correct. And so, uh, in Scripture, we're told that mankind without understanding is like the beasts that perish. We know from passages like Ezekiel um, 38 and 39, 37, 38 and 39, and Revelation 19, for example, uh, that the Lord is going to sacrifice 
the unregenerate nations who make war against him at Armageddon as if they were animals. He's going to mm -hmm. sacrifice them like beasts. And then the birds of the midheaven will come down to eat the flesh of the slain. You know, that transpires in connection with Armageddon, but they're like animals. And Yeshua, Jesus, is our high priest. Right. Besides being the God of Israel, the God of the universe incarnate, he's our high priest. Right. And as such, he will perform that like a religious function, if you will, besides judging the nations uh, as God. Right. He will also sacrifice them like beasts, like animals, like the high priest at Tabernacles. So, what this is portraying when you've got 72 dreamers, Stella at the top of the bowl, you know, the woman riding the beast. Yeah. Around the bowl are 71 others. They're meant to represent clearly the nations and territories of the British Commonwealth, mm -hmm. but in a more, in an occult sense, what they're really meant to represent is the 70 nations plus Israel. Israel came along after, historically right. after the 70 nations and the table of nations in Genesis 10. You know, following the Tower of Babel, Israel was called out from those nations. So those nations are bull worshippers, and that's the point of sacrificing the bulls at tabernacles. It's basically God signifying that that these nations are going to be sacrificed like Baal worshippers, mm. you know, becoming like Baal, like bulls. Right. And that's what's being portrayed here. So the 71 is those 70 nations plus Israel. In other words, they're insinuating, they're implying they're suggesting very strongly that Israel is among the Baal worshippers right. in this context under Lucifer. Yeah. So, so they are, you know, they've invited the whole world, including Israel, to participate in this. And they're signifying Israel as worshiping the devil with the other nations of the world here. In this case, using the Baal Molech idol, you know, as part of the all-seeing eye motif of the devil, Lucifer. So is and, mm -hmm. is Israel leading this because they're yeah. like the seventy first? Israel is not. Um, no. Go ahead. No, the harlot is not Israel. Stella okay. is the one who is leading it under the devil, riding the bull, riding okay. the idol. Okay, we can talk about who that whore is uh, yeah. a, a bit later in this discussion, but no, Israel is not leading it. Uh, but Israel is participating, what right. they're signifying. You know, Israel is not actually present at these games, but the symbolism, in other words, they're signifying that Israel is worshiping with the other nations of the world as a 71st right. around this bull, this idol. And they do show this from above. I don't know the exact uh, time, uh, time index to show you that, but I don't know if we'll see it or not. But they do an overhead view of this showing that it's an eye shape, but it's obvious enough from here. Yeah. As well. You know, and then they get to this. And so let's move on to what comes later here in the uh, ceremony. That's Canada, I think. Is United States in there too? No. No. This is, these are Commonwealth nations and territories. So oh. Canada, you know, Australia, New Zealand, etc. And you see the Union Jack here. Yeah. Or not the Union Jack, cross, I mean to say. Um, I think that's because England is about to uh, enter pretty quickly. But I'm looking to see if I can find the one with the red dragon. 
There you go. That's whales entering. Yeah. You see the red dragon on the tower? Right. That explicitly represents Satan. I haven't shown this in an interview before, so yours is the first one showing that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, where I'm pointing that out. And you notice they're all carrying the dragon? Yeah. The flag of Wales with the red dragon in the center, all these Welsh people. Yeah. Talk about a nation devoid of spiritual understanding. Yeah, for sure. They have the devil as their national symbol. That's literally what they have done. Yeah. And you don't hear their populace crying out against that. In fact, I have yet to hear a Welsh church, an actual church in Wales, crying out against that. There may be some, but I haven't seen one or heard one publicly yet. Well, I heard statistics long ago that England has the lowest church atten attendance. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh-huh. And notice the red dragon on this yeah. display encircling the bowl. Right. And the bull is, was facing it. It's still there, actually. They're about to transition from Wales, but their bull is still facing it also. Yeah. Overtly satanic. It, it doesn't get more brazen than this in any kind of symbolism. Yeah, they, they embrace the serpent pretty well. Well, we're going to actually see the serpent in the tower, too. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'll show that. So, um, more flags now around the base of the bull. More teams, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately entering around it and we'll skip that they have these little segues here's another uh, sexual satanist here uh -huh. yeah their clothes were all crazy colorful <laughs> yep and uh very flamboyant but it's because yeah. he's a sexual satanist i presume and i believe that's accurate i documented who he was in the book yeah and it's uh, a man wearing that kind of costume too mm-hmm all right, so moving forward now, I want to capture when, um, show you, here it is. Go back a little bit. So I haven't pointed this out either uh, before now in a ceremony. The symbol of the Commonwealth Games yeah. is basically a colorful set of three V-like patterns. Uh-huh. And I'll point that symbol out a little in a, a little more clearly in a moment. But it's on the flag, and they've just raised it, and it's next to the tower. Mm -hmm. This symbol is actually a version of the Awen, which is part of Druidry. Mm -hmm. And the Awen is a counterfeit to the Hebrew glyph Shin, which represents God's name. Oh. But it's a, it's a core symbol of Neo-Druidry, modern Druidry, and it's highly occult. Um, but it all t also ties in with Charles as the Antichrist and so forth as a document in the second edition of the Antichrist to Cup to this Owen symbol. The Hebrew word, uh, Owen means wickedness. That's uh -huh. what, that's how it translates wickedness or the wicked, you know, the wicked. It's actually a Hebrew word that's found, uh, many times in the Old Testament. So here's that okay. same symbol, the one that's on the flag, but not in color. Right yeah. here, that's the same symbol. Uh, so normally they don't split it. What's that? So those three uh, symbols means wickedness? Yes. Ah. It's a version of the uh, Druidic symbol Awen, which is a Hebrew word which literally translates wickedness or wicked. That's crazy. So they're saying wickedness, commonwealth, sport. It's the central symbol. Yeah. Of the games. It's, it's, this, it's the symbol of the commonwealth games. So at any rate, they've split it into a V-like pattern. Normally, it's just three lines. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, they they either show it so it's flaring outward like this, 
or they invert it so it's in other words they flip it uh vertically right and it has two different meanings whether it's evoke or invoke which are occult meanings mm -hmm. they're actually symbolizing something by the orientation hmm. so this is the dame of the games she's right. making some announcements and then charles is going to formally open the games at the end of this so you can see the they've got their flag up all right i'll come to charles here in a minute let's see if i can show this all right he's got the baton of the games let me mm -hmm. go back a little bit if i can capture it there we go also saw the gay pride yeah all the gay pride flags yep that's exactly what they are so this baton has been carried from the prior games this is the one specific for these games created right after the prior games but it was carried following the prior games four years earlier all over the territories of the uh, commonwealth nations so 17 mm -hmm. nations and territories this baton has a message in the top of it and it was carried throughout the british commonwealth in those territories over that period of time and now it's finally reaching its it's returning to the united kingdom and now it's coming into the stadium this fellow is a homosexual mm -hmm. claims to be married in other words he's a sodomite claims to be married one of the actual athletes of the games these others with him are carrying the so-called gay pride flags yeah he is actually trying to promote uh sexual satanism to all the nations of the commonwealth and they make a big deal out of that at this event when he enters the arena in fact they state uh and he states in a segue that they want to see these other nations like the muslim nations for example that are yeah. part of the commonwealth right uh allow freedom for homosexuals and l you know transgenders yeah. etc allow this sexual satanism in their in their um countries and so forth they're promoting it it's in their face yeah Okay, that's what they're but doing. If they joined it, they probably will do that, right? They probably will allow it, even though traditionally that would have been a death sentence. Well, they're being pressured to do it. I don't know that they will allow it, but the point I want to make is under the crown, they're really pushing it heavily, just like yeah. in the United States. We see the Biden regime pushing it here in this country. And yeah, endlessly. <laughs> that is being done under Charles. Including uh, when Obama did it, it was done under Charles. And I document some of that stuff in the book, but but it's all being done under Charles. Yeah, and so let's continue here. Want to show where? So anyway, this baton is going to be passed from athlete to athlete, and finally be given to a female athlete who will hand it to the dame, who will pull out the message and hand the message to Charles, which he'll read. So we'll continue on to that. All right, so she's the female athlete who has been tasked now to bring it up to the dame to give it to her. She's the dame of the games. She's got the baton. She's actually handing the message which she's pulled out of the top of it now to Charles. Let's see if I can go back and just capture that so you can see that. There we go. Yeah. See, she's got it in her hands.
There we go. All right, so she's lifting it out of the top of this baton. It's all fun and games to these people. And now Charles is going to read it. It's a message from his mother, the queen, to formally open the games. So, you know, Moses came down off Mount Sinai. Uh -huh. He saw the reveling, the revelry around that uh, golden calf. Yeah. You know, which Aaron had produced because the people demanded it, you know, according to Aaron. And he cast down the Ten Commandments that he had brought down off Mount Sinai with uh -huh. him. Yeah. And shattered them, right? Yeah. He was very angry, and God was furious. Charles, instead of doing that, you know, seeing all the revelry that's transpiring yeah. under him and the crown. Yeah. He's got the, the counterpart in this ceremony, the Ten Commandments, that message from his mother. Right. And instead of being a message from God the Father, in this case, it's a message from his queen, the mother, who is a spiritual whore also. She was not a Christian. She was yeah. a Satanist like Charles, as I point out in my book. And I give actual evidence for that. I'm not stating that. Uh, it's not an opinion. I'm showing actual evidence in the second edition of the book for that. Well, so, you know, buy their food, so I think that was already correct. Clear. That's right. But a lot of people think, you know, that she was a uh, Christian, that she died a Christian. You get people like Billy Graham who paraded her, you know, spoke of her as if she were a Christian. Right. Franklin Graham somehow thinks that she's a Christian, it appears. She was not a Christian. At any rate, this message is being handed to Charles. Mm -hmm. He's going to read it and formally open the games. And immediately following this is when Duran Duran and so forth become involved with what to me is the most shocking portion of the whole ceremony. Really? As if what we've seen already wasn't shocking enough. Oh. So we'll so come I'm to that. Super interested in that part. Just before yep. you say it, look, it says sport is just a beginning. Um, what do you think they mean by that? They want to take this example of all these diverse cultures and so forth participating kind of like unity and diversity uh -huh. and have the whole world join together. You know, sport is an athletic way to kind of bring the nations together, much right. like the ancient Greek and Roman games. Yeah. So it's basically just another way of saying we want the whole world to join in and sport is one way to encourage that. Also, he's showing his intention that it's going to go beyond sports to unify the world. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. All right. You'll notice on the baton, there's this Awin symbol again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And the baton is shaped like a torch. You know, as if they were handing a light. You know, it, it wasn't lit, obviously, but it's shaped like a torch, which I thought was interesting. A, a scroll and a torch all in one. Mm -hmm. All right. So we don't need to see that and i'm not going to play the audio for it either yeah that's um, people can go back and find out the message separately later i want to proceed to what happens right after this all right lots of fireworks over the bowl yeah it's now nighttime and they had all kinds of fireworks displays over the bowl Kind of per puts the 4th of July in the United States to shame almost. They had so many. 
All right, so here's the bowl under all of that. Lots of smoke in the arena, and that actually facilitates visibility of certain spotlights that they'll show later. Yeah. Which would be part of what I show. Mm -hmm. So here's the tower in the background. They, they're back down to two levels again. Right. Okay, so they're portraying it being built again. The Tower of Babel, but atop it is Stella's house. Oh. Uh, That's where her home landed. That's what they're portraying here. Yeah. She's actually there. We'll see that in a little bit. She's actually right here, I think, where the tip of my mouse pointer is if anybody can see that i don't know yeah. but the bull is facing the tower you don't see the all-seeing eye of the devil here yet we're going to see that the flags are all around the bull just look at this imagery here and what's about to do, uh, transpire i'll show the next uh i don't know six seven minutes of this and then i'll describe what we're seeing so here's stella she was where i pointed to this is her home uh -huh. atop the tower where it landed so now they've got it atop the tower the home from which she stepped out you know with a shard at the beginning of all of this that lead bard we saw with his shard right and the other dreamers he's one of the dreamers in this case right all of the shards are encircling actually this tower and notice you've got the celestial uh imagery inside yeah. the tower right we'll see the significance of that these are dancers at the base of the tower in the water. Mm -hmm. They'll be dancing. So Stella represents the whore of Babylon, right? Correct. So what's the significance of putting whore of Babylon's house in the middle of the tower? That'll become very clear in a minute or two. Okay. So watch what they do with these shards. The lead bard went into the tower with his. Everyone else is going to push their shards into the side of the tower. All these other dreamers. So they're, mm -hmm. they're taking their Luciferian shards. They're doing another New Age ceremony. Again, inviting the world to participate, be part of this, to be part of their worship. Yeah, you, see, you see some of them bowing their heads to these shards, oh, right. making motions. Now they're going to stick the shards, starting with Stella. Other than the lead bardy winner, she's the first one to stick her shard into the tower. Notice it's floating mm -hmm. through the tower. Yeah. Everyone else is going to follow suit and do the same thing. So all these shards now are floating through the tower. The tower is rising, mm -hmm. being built up. They're the priests and priestesses of the devil here in this context. Yeah, definitely. These dreamers are. Now, notice what's happening to all those shards. They're coalescing inside the tower. Becoming the greater they're, light. They're actually reconstituting the star that exploded and fell to the earth. Ah, uh, yeah, from the beginning. They're re in other words, Lucifer is gathering his light, as it were, reforming as this all-seeing eye. Yeah. About to rise over the tower. The all-seeing eye over the pyramid? Yeah. Or the tower? Uh-huh. So watch what happens here. There it is. Crazy. Right there atop the tower. 
Now watch what happens inside the tower. I almost captured it. We'll have to. It's still happening, so capture it later. There's the back side of the ball. All right. This is a coiled serpent inside the tower. These are snake scales. Yeah. And the serpent is coiled and bobbing up and down now inside the tower. This is the serpent's head. Wow. The all-seeing eye. Do you see that? Yeah. And now watch the bull. The bull is now rising to face the tower, rising up on its feet, its front legs, speaking, as it were, to the devil there in the tower. So the bull is like the, the lead idol, worshiper now of the devil. Yeah. Even the idol is worshiping down to Satan. Yes, but watch what happens. You know, demons possess unsaved individuals, right? Yeah. And fallen angels can as well. Right. There's a transference of energy that's meant to signif signify um, satanic possession between the all-seeing eye and the bull. So wow. watch what happens here. There it goes. <sighs> now notice this this particular beam. It's a clustered beam of lights. This this one in the center is actually a humanoid stick figure. Oh. Right here. Um, in the center of these lights. Yeah. There's six of oh, the yeah. lights. He's, right. Yeah. And, so the beam of light is actually striking this uh, disco-like ball over the tower that's representing the all-seeing eye of Lucifer. And, of course, the snake is still writhing, writhing in it, representing the devil. Just another version of the red dragon that we saw a little bit earlier. Yeah. The whales. Okay. Smoke in the arena. You can see the lights going between the chest of the bull and the all-seeing eye. See, I'm just going to interject for a moment. I'll come back to where you can get things, folks. Uh, my book is called The Antichrist in a Cup of Tea. Yeah. And it's available from publisher Prophecy House. This is the cover. We'll talk about that after we finish talking about the ceremony and what the actual evidence is to identify Charles as the Antichrist. Now, I stated at the beginning of talking about this ceremony that transpired in Birmingham, England on July 28th this year, the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. I stated that it's not my opinion that Charles is the Antichrist. I'm stating matter-of-factly he is the foretold Antichrist who's going to be over a global government for three and a half years during the Great Tribulation. I have not given you any of the evidence, however, that proves that. So that's what we'll get to subsequently. Right now we're just talking about a very significant event that transpired under Charles as the Antichrist. Uh, without actually giving the evidence as to why he's the Antichrist, but under him as the Antichrist this year. So where we left off um, a little bit ago is this beam of light transpiring uh, between the all-seeing eye over yeah. the Tower of Babel, a rebuilt Tower of Babel, basically, as if it were rebuilt in our day, in our time. Mm -hmm. A beam of light transference between the chest of the bull and this eye, and it becomes very obvious uh, at certain angles. And then, of course, the the serpent, you know, writhing through the tower here in the all-seeing eye meant to represent the devil's head at the top of that tower, like the all-seeing eye at the top of pyramid as well. I think it's crazy that they even showed the serpent like that. Well, they're being very explicit about it. In other words, people might say, well, Tim, that's just your interpretation. And I'm going to say, no, it's right there. Yeah. You know? Just like they encircled it with the red dragon, they put the serpent inside the tower. There's more that's to come. This is not the end of that imagery. Right. The point is we've got the all-seeing eye, we've got the bull idol. The transference between them is if the, there's a, a, a spiritual possession transpiring between them, Yeah. etc. 
And then, of course, the nation's worshiping the bull, gathered around it. All the flags at this point are around the bull. In other words, the parade of the athletes encircling this field is over. They've all gathered around the bull. And so they're around and before the bull in this tower. And there's the all-seeing eye. Now, this stuff up above, these are the houses of the dreamers, yeah. which I presume were shown in a holographic way somehow. They're dissipating. They're going to become something else momentarily. Welcome, wow. welcome to Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing well, what they can do. That kind of reminds me of. Uh, in you know when the star of Bethlehem that pointed to Christ being born, this kind of reminds mm. me of like the star of Birmingham pointing to Satan's birth or something, you know, or his coming or falling to the earth of that sort of nature. That's very interesting because what we basically saw was a portrayal of death and resurrection with the star blowing up, the shards reaching earth. Yeah. The New Age dreamers picking them up, then worshiping the devil through this bowl, you know, with his with right. his dispersed spirit of Lucifer, if you will, in their hands in this case. Stella inviting the whole world to participate in that. And then they st stick that stuff into the Tower of Babel that has been rebuilt before the nations of the world. Right. So that Lucifer can reappear, remanifest as a star. You know, more than just the all-seeing eye motif, as it were, yeah. can reappear as a star and dazzle the world, you know, as the head of the serpent who yeah. deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. That's what they're portraying here. It's very, very in your face. And so they're saying, welcome to Birmingham here. It seems like the only people who would get all this is the one who read the Bible. Because it's all... In many cases, yeah. Yeah. How else would they have known, like all these what these even mean like the serpent and the and the fallen star and all that kind of stuff it, it should be pretty obvious though to a lot of people i think who even if they haven't become christians to this point yeah they got to see this and think what in the world is going on right it just proves the bible is true it does but i mean imagine the time and resources and planning that went into all this i mean there's so oh, yeah. much that we've skipped Lord. over but I'm trying to highlight the really important stuff. So yeah. there are some things that are going to happen over the bowl and with this all-seeing eye that are incredibly important that we're getting to. And Duran Duran is going to come on and be a part of that uh, shortly. And again, all this is right after Charles formally opened the event. Right. So right now you're going to notice this beam of light, this cluster of lights between the chest of the bowl and yeah. the all-seeing eye. It's going to be a little more visible uh, momentarily because of the smoke in the arena. Yeah. From all those fireworks there we go here's the all-seeing eye yeah i'm circling it right it's it's transitioning from here to here to be right over the ball watch what happens this pulsing is basically like a heartbeat the music to the background yeah, is actually right. a heartbeat that you're hearing as this is happening if you heard the audio yeah this is right over at the top of the ball it's actually meant to signify a connection between the devil, uh -huh. who is now here. So the devil has migrated, if you will. The all-seeing eye has transitioned from atop the tower right. to right over the bowl, right above all the flags of the nations and these athletes, right above the bowl. And it's pulsing, kind of like a heartbeat, but it's right. meant also to connect Lucifer to quote-unquote aliens, fake aliens, but aliens. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. And I point that out in my book, but we're going to see something that mimics the pattern of what's called the Battle of Los Angeles. Have you ever heard of that, Seema? Nope. Okay, I'll point it out when we get to it. You mean like Los Angeles of the United States? Correct. Los Angeles, California. Wow. Los Angeles, Why California. Why would that be there? Yep, we'll get to that. But anyway, you're seeing this starlight pattern. Yeah. With radiating beams of light all around, you know, ra- you know, radiating to the nations, if you will. Right. Atop the bowl, over the flags, over the athletes representing all the nations of the world. Before the tower. And Lucifer is over all the nations. That's what they're portraying here. Mm-hmm. Besides the alien connection. Alive, you know, pulsing like the heart is beating. And right. Okay. If you were to pull up a photo, and I'll show one, I'll do that for the audience here, of the Battle of Los Angeles. It's an actual historical event that transpired in 1942. Uh-huh. Let me see if I can uh, get it on our screen here, in fact. Let me just Google it. People can see me searching for it. There was a movie by that title, but I'm not talking about the movie. (laughs) I always wondered about that one, too. I think I have heard about the movie. All right. You see this? Yeah. This was both filmed and photographed in February 1942. Yeah, and they dated it here February 26th. I think the actual event was the 25th. The 26th, I think, is when it was reported. But they've got film footage in this as well as stills. What happened is... A flying disc, an anti-gravity craft, was caught on radar off the coast of California. It came in over Los Angeles, and they illuminated it with all these spotlights and then fired a large number of anti-aircraft rounds Mm -hmm. to try to down it. They fired at this thing for a lengthy period of time, and uh, that's part of the report. Huh. So that's a photograph, Los Angeles Times. It was published in the newspapers. That's crazy. And anyway, my point is there's a flying disc in the center of this. And the better the better photos, when you do a photographic negative of it, uh-huh. you can clearly see the outline of the disc in the uh-huh. center of these spotlights. Right. Okay, so a so-called alien craft or UFO, they couldn't down it with their anti-aircraft fire. Very famous, you know, among those who are interested in so-called aliens and UFOs and so forth. Right. And I have a book series called Solar Apocalypse that's coming that gives the real information wow. on so-called aliens and the rest. Uh, mm-hmm. People can see that on my website uh, and the description of the initial volumes that are coming. Yeah. There are those enumerated volumes, plus there are unenumerated volumes, but that'll be coming. That's been worked on for several years. By the time it's out, at least a decade in the making right. the most important series on the topic in existence on earth ever is what that will be it gives a real evidence hard evidence that's independently verifiable on what's really going on who's behind it what actually exists mm-hmm. in our solar system etc but my point for this is among those people who are interested in the topic you know many of whom obviously are not christians most i would say right was that and this is what they're uh recreating over yeah. the bowl with this all-seeing eye of lucifer 
Now, as this is happening, Duran Duran is uh, already begun to do the music, mm-hmm. their portion of the music. They're the main, the main event as far as the music is them for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and certainly at the end of the event, there's a song that specifically has to do with aliens coming down to Earth. Really? That they sing. Listen to that song. And this happens uh, around that. So mm. it's an explicit connection that the audience may have missed. But as you draw in closer to the bolt with the camera work, it gets to look even more like that Battle of Los Angeles photo. Yeah. So they're telling you that aliens are coming? They're telling you the devil is an alien. Lucifer. Uh-huh. Okay, so he will come in the form of an alien that will be like superhuman, supernatural, super something. Over he, or he is over the so-called aliens. Whatever they're portraying here, right. they're making an, an implicit connection between Lucifer, the devil, right. and so-called aliens. Hmm. So and that, they're portraying that as being over all mankind. So it seems to me that's what they're telling us is coming. Where yes. um, it's part of what they're trying to portray. Yeah. You know, a lot of Christians say, well, I'm not interested in aliens and this and that, but what they fail to realize is that's actually part of the plan under the devil. Right. The plot to deceive the nations. It's not um it's not an irrelevant sideshow. It's well, part of how the devil receives the world into turning their weapons of war against Christ at his return, Christ and his angels. Yeah, it's a good point because that's, that was something I was going to ask you about. How was people going to worship uh, King Charles like that? Well, we'll get to that because that's a whole different story. But it, we'll, we'll talk about that in our next segment because I imagine we're going to sure. run this one out probably just on this. Okay. So at any rate, you've got the Battle of Los Angeles portrayed, in a sense, insinuated, implied, or at least reminding us of it right here. And right. then you've got all the flags of the nations now very clearly portrayed, right? Yeah. Around the base of the bowl. The uh, moppish women, the slavish women outside of the flags. And then the athletes all around here. And, of course, the bull is still facing the tower, this Baal Molech Bowl. Now we get to the music portion uh, in a moment here with Duran Duran. Yeah. We're going to see this Luciferian portrayal over the bowl transition to go back over the top of the tower. And then inside the tower, we're going to see angelic figures floating throughout the tower behind Duran Duran. And we're going to see the beam of light, you know, as it's just transitioned. And now the bowl is going to go up again, and we're going to see the beam of light, the cluster of light, Mm -hmm. lights uh, go between the bull's chest. And the tower again. So there it is. The all seeing eye back over the tower. The lead singer of Duran Duran. Now notice what's on his shirt here. That's oh, a knight. A knight? Yeah. In, in uh, chainmail. Uh, yeah, okay. A knight? Yeah. And there's a reason for this imagery. It ties in with Charles as the black prince or as the knights under him. There's... There's a lot having to do with knighthood and chivalry and this power base that's been constructed under the Antichrist. And I'll huh. talk about that a bit when we get to okay. the hard evidence that Charles is actually the Antichrist. So notice these angelic figures floating through the tower. They're not actually doves. You yeah. might on first glance think so, but if you get 
a look at their heads. They're not doves. Um, so again, you can clearly see the knight here. Yeah. On his chest. Yeah. He's the lead singer of Duran Duran. So this is the portion that I really wanted to highlight for everyone. The colors that there are a lot of very fluorescent and uh yeah green and pink are things really designed to appeal to the lgbtqia plus uh, crowd, yeah, if you will right. yeah and then all these angelic figures in the background yeah and they transition to other things you know through the music but fallen angels in other words and you yeah. can see the beam of light the cluster going between the chest of the bowl yeah and the luciferian all-seeing eye over the tower of babel which is now fully constructed yeah so what they're portraying here is a reconstitution of a global babylonian system under the antichrist yeah. with all the nations worshiping lucifer including through this baal molech bull kind of an idol right you know in that motif if you will and we know from scripture that the lord as the high priest yeshua jesus is going to sacrifice those bull worshipers, meaning the nations of the world who don't worship the real God, he's going to slaughter uh, them like uh, brute beasts. Man without, man without understanding is like the beasts that perish. Scripture mm. tells us that. And, of course, many will be saved. But those who are not, uh, and those who make war against Christ at Armageddon, and that's, by the way, where the alien thing comes in. Right. The way that the nations will be deceived into making war against Christ at Armageddon mm -hmm. is a, a big part of it will be that unbelieving uh, mankind will be told something along the lines of, uh, yeah, we've heard this is coming, but we actually believe Christ is just another alien and these angels or creatures with him are other aliens, if you will, and it's an alien attack upon earth an alien invasion and we've been working by the way with these other uh so-called like aliens behind the scenes to prepare for it and they will they will treat it as a hostile alien attack upon earth and make war against christ and his angels yeah i totally believe that because i've seen that theme repeated in almost every movie that they're preparing their way to become uh make war against christ when he returns just about every movie even like some of the alien movies like um, Independence Day and all these mm -hmm. other famous ones, they were all like making it, you know, like aliens that the earth has to protect against, you know, the bad enemy. But then the symbolism is always that it's against Christ. So, yeah, I totally believe what you just said there about making war against Christ when he returns. Yeah. And so this is, there's a lot to tie together here and i do that in my books so i'm trying to give the the overview yeah, this is awesome what you've shown right. so far so all of that is really the really important stuff let me show a few images other stills related to this event um we talked about the sexual satanism but this is the one here that i particularly these yeah. two actually that i want to show So yeah. this is another version of that same bowl. Right. And it was the mascot for the event. Uh, yeah. So it's a game. You know, parading around in the audience and before the uh, athletes and so forth. You see the colors? Yeah. The flag? Yeah. It's, it's, it's sexual Satanism in your face. 
And lest anybody should think that that's not really what they were trying to push to the entire audience, lest anybody should think this was just a group of people doing this, you know, in the audience. Yeah. Now this, is, this is an English medalist at yeah. the event. And he's got the book. Notice what he's holding? Yeah. They actually gave a, a version of this, a miniature version colored like this. Yeah. To all of the medalists. Huh. At the event, as the mascot, right? They got an LGBTQIA, you know, Baal Molech bull idol, a stuffy, to wow. take home with them. And now yeah. I see all the colors that they use, like the very bright, colorful. It's the same as the flag, the green, yes. the blue, the pink, and all that. That's crazy. A, they're hijacking the rainbow of yeah. scripture, right? To use it in a perverse, satanic way. Yep, the pride, the fall, everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've we pretty much covered these things. Uh, well, now yeah, we looked at the main stuff here, so we can know. talk now about Charles as the Antichrist and yeah, what I makes him the Antichrist biblically. Definitely, I think that would be great way because he's the one who's leading. You're saying that. He's leading the charge with all the global LGBT stuff and all the other policies that have been going around, including the COVID stuff. So if he's involved and everyone's basically bowing down to him already, if they let him control the policies like he has. Um, so I can see that connection. But what I don't get is where the whole world will worship him like he's you know, like everybody wants him. And I don't know if, if that's, if they knew it was King Charles that doing all this, are they really wanting to worship him as if he's like God? So the answer is mixed on that. Yeah. It's nuanced. And I'll, I'll discuss that as part sure. of talking about this. But let's first talk about what makes him the Antichrist and what caused me to say he is the Antichrist in 1987. Okay. And again, this is the first edition of the book. This is the one that was published in 1998. It's been 24 years that this has been out where the world wow. could get the information. And this book was a bestseller. This book changed the discussion on the subject of the Antichrist globally. Yeah. So people would start to look at Charles. But it didn't become so known or popular. And probably a lot of the people listening to us right now never heard this before today. It didn't become so known or popular uh, as to be able to interfere yeah. With Charles rise to power right. as the Antichrist. We've now passed that threshold. He can no longer be stopped. So I'm now free to, I believe, to cause this to be known to the entire planet. And, yeah. and this is the beginning of that this year. Um, that event is the thing that I believe when the Lord showed me that now it's no longer time. It's no longer possible to stop him. When I saw that event in Birmingham, what we just covered yeah. I realize that, that now is the time to make this known to the whole church and to mankind generally. So, so do you think we're the, like the last generation now because of all these events transpiring the way they are? Those who see the start of the tribulation week are the last generation preceding Christ's return. And I don't know if we're in the tribulation week yet. That's another discussion we could be yeah. in the tribulation period. The great tribulation has not yet begun. Um, I don't think we're in the tribulation period yet, the tribulation week, and the Great Tribulation is the latter half of it. 
Yeah. I don't think we're there yet. But if we see the wars break out with North Korea and Iran, which I talk about, um, let me get to Yeah, I saw that you wrote a book on that. Perhaps next time we can talk about that. Yeah, in this book, I talk about it. Yeah. Uh, where I identify those wars in connection with the second seal of the apocalypse, uh -huh. which summarizes roughly the second year of the right. tribulation week, the fiery red horse whose rider takes peace from the earth. North Korea is symbolized by that fiery red horse. It's their national symbol. Really? The sword has to do with Iran, yes. Uh -huh. And that symbol is also tied to um, oil, in specifically uh, Magnolia oil and then mobile oil and then Exxon Mobil yeah. today in the United States. And we're allied with Saudi Arabia, represented by the sword, North Korea with Iran by the sword, representing the sword, and uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. Also as the Mother Russia statue, which has a huge sword in its hand, uh, associated with both North Korea and Iran at this point. But uh, that's all addressed. A lot more than that is addressed in this book. But what leads to World War III is addressed in this book, and it all comes in connection with the opening of that second seal of the apocalypse, the fiery red horse. And... Mm -hmm. We can talk about the treaty in relation to the Antichrist, mm -hmm. what that might be if we're already in the tribulation week. If we are in that week, then we are currently, as you and I are talking, in the second year of it already. And we would see these wars break out in the very near future, very, very near future. Well, there's been a weeks. lot of war talk lately anyway with... Uh, yeah, I mean, people are talking about the thing with Ukraine being World War III. I don't believe that it is. Uh, it's yeah, certainly heading that direction, right. but um, certainly the whole world is concerned about it. But this is actual World War III that we're talking about when the wars of North Korea and Iran break out. And if we see that happen in the next um, roughly four weeks, that would mean that we're already in the Tribulation Week, the last seven years. In other words, Daniel's 70th period of seven That'd years in Daniel 927. If we don't see that happen in that time frame, then I would say that we're still not there yet. Huh. Um, but let's come back to my book and yeah. let's walk through some of this here. Yeah. I saw the where you did his name under Gmatria, but what happens now that he's King Charles instead of Prince Charles? Too soon to talk about that. If you don't mind, I want to build this up for the audience. Sure. A little bit so and before i do that just to remind you folks um where you can get that book you can get it from prophecy house my publisher prophecyhouse.com and just go to the link the antichrist kept tea this is where you can order it. you can actually order it now the second edition goes to press this month and then it'll take some period of months for the printer to print it and get it to prophecy House to then ship to customers. This is the only book in the history of the world to give hard evidence on the actual identity of the Antichrist. It's the first one, and I would say it's still the only one. Some have put out some of the information in this book since the first edition came out. It's all in this book, however, and uh, this is the cover of the first edition. It'll be replaced with the second edition soon, but uh, you can order it now. And I encourage you to do that. It'll cost more later. And then there are related materials. This DVD set, which uh, goes through some of the stuff in the book, is already available. It's out now. And all this other stuff is out. Some of my books are mentioned on this site. There are multiple multi-volume series that are mentioned. They're not available yet. They'll be coming in the next one to three years. I'll have at least three 
multi-volume series of books. And then there are some individual books that aren't mentioned here. So for example, right after this book comes out, the second edition, there'll be a book on the mark of the beast. There'll be a book on the global depopulation agenda. There'll be a book which is basically a polemic on the last days, the last days polemic. All those will come out in short order after this book on the Antichrist to Kepti. The last of those three to come out will be the depopulation agenda book. All of that is actually also under Charles, and I document that in the book. So without going further into that, let's get into the actual evidence. So let me, uh, in fact, let me just bring up a little scripture here. This is Revelation 13, 18. All right, so the scripture says, Here is wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Right. There are multiple points to be made here. You know, people have heard that number 666 a lot. Yeah. And it's been used to try to show so-and-so is the Antichrist many yeah. times historically. And everyone has always been wrong invariably. And there's a reason for that. And so I'm going to address those reasons as we dissect this verse a little bit. Sure. So first of all, it says it's the number of the beast. What beast? This beast right here. Just this portion right here that I'm circling. Yeah. Of the coat of arms with the red dragon right here. So let's look at the scripture that, I, that talks about that beast. It's in this same chapter. Preceding verse 18 of Revelation 13, same yeah. chapter. So the United Kingdom is off the coast, if you will. It's in the sea relative to Israel geographically. Right. So the scripture here says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horns ten crowns, and on its heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So, in my books, I explain how all this imagery is actually on the coat of arms that we were just right. viewing. Yeah. This one here. Yeah. Um, and I give a little bit better translation of this first verse. This is not a great translation right here. So, I go into the Greek and I give a better translation than that. But the, all the elements are there on that coat of arms. But the first thing I want to address is this here. A beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, uh, mouth like the mouth of a lion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it says mouth like the mouth of a lion right there. I didn't have it highlighted. So, I think that means like nations coming together, like as a beast, or is it just from Prince Charles' realm, parts of his kingdom? I'll show you that when I talk about the coat of arms. Sure. I'll directly address that. So, but what I want you to see here is like, like, like. In other words, it does not say that it is the body of a leopard. It does okay. not say that it is the feet of a bear. And it does not say that it is the mouth of a lion. It says like, like, like. In other words, when we see it, it evokes that imagery. It reminds us of that imagery. Okay. Yeah. And then it tells us that the dragon gave him his power, his throne. And great authority. Well, what dragon? In the prior chapter, Revelation 12, it's identified as a great fiery red dragon. Yeah. And 
That dragon is also identified as Satan, as Satan, pardon me, and as the serpent who deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. So yeah. that serpent of old, the devil, Satan. Yeah. The dragon gives this beast we were talking about his power throne and great authority. Right. All right. There are two beasts in this chapter. The first one is the one we're talking about, the beast that rises out of the sea. Right. The second beast rises out of the land. Mm. And has two horns like a lamb and speaks like a dragon. That's not the one that we're addressing here today. Yeah. In context, the beast being spoken of in Revelation 13, 18 here is that first beast, not the second one. Okay. When we get to the imagery here, this is not the normal lion or lion leopard for England. Ordinarily, this would be a lion or a lion leopard for England. And this is Charles' official heraldic achievement. It's unique to him under international law. Yeah. His sons, William and Harry, have their own heraldic achievements or coats of arms. They do not look like this. Huh. They do not have the imagery that this one has. They never will. So on this one, instead of the normal lion or lion leopard for England, which is what this Dexter beast should be, you have a beast with proportions like a leopard's body, a mouth like a lion's mouth, feet like bear's feet. In other words, the claws are exaggerated. Yeah. There is a graven version, two actually graven versions of this heraldic achievement that when I say graven, they look like cast iron mm -hmm. that were produced that were quite large and they were placed over the entrances to the, uh, well, over one entrance and over a gate that you can't actually exit, but the Queen's Gate at Cairnarvon Castle in July 1969. So over the Eagle Gate, which is an actual entrance into the castle and over the Queen's Gate. Two locations where Charles was presented following his investiture as Prince of Wales mm -hmm. in July 1969, over the entrances to the wall, uh, to the castle wall there on the outside of the castle, excuse me, were hung the cast iron looking graven version of the coats of arms. You see that symbol that we talked about earlier with the wickedness? Is that yes. three? It's right here. Yeah. Yep, it's on here, but well, we'll come back to that. So, because I want to make some specific points. The uh, claws on that graven version for the Dexter Beast, which was photographed also, yeah. and I show it in the second edition of the book, are actually bear's claws. They look precisely like the claws of a bear on a foot of a bear. Right. On the graven version that looks like cast iron, which was actually produced from plaster and painted to look like cast iron, but that was unveiled. At Charles Investiture in July 1969 as Prince of Wales at the exact same time, that this official heraldic achievement, the artistic version of it, in other words, was unveiled. This was first seen on the order of service, the pamphlet that was given to people at the investiture who attended. And also it was on uh, plates and saucers, cups, mm -hmm. sold as memorabilia at the investiture in July 1969. That was the most widely viewed event in the history of the world at the time. An estimated television audience of 500 million plus took place in Cairnarvon Castle in Wales, which I show in the second edition of the book, and I mention it in the first, mm -hmm. is actually historically, uh, if there were to be an historical castle of King Arthur and Merlin, it is the castle. Cairnarvon mm -hmm. Castle is where Charles was invested. But you can see that that imagery that we read in Revelation 13 is literally on right. this heraldic achievement. The Red Dragon 
the beast of feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like a lion. All these other symbols are also described in Scripture, and I'll come back to that because I want to get back to this Scripture, Revelation 13, 18. Yeah. So before we can do the calculation, it's the number of the beast. So it tells us it's the number of the beast, meaning that imagery we just saw. And then it's the number of a man. In other words, the context for that number being associated with a man and the context for doing the calculation itself is mm -hmm. that that imagery has to be present. And it has, excuse me, it has to be, pardon me, has to be associated with a man. Right. The man for whom the calculation is being done. If the imagery isn't present for that human being, if you can't show that it exists for that man, right. forget doing the calculation. You're wasting everyone's time, including your own. Mm. It does not matter at that point whether it turns out to 666 on any system. Right. It's meaningless, in other words. Yeah. It's only meaningful when that imagery is present for a man. And then you're biblically authorized to go do the calculation. Is that making sense? Yep. So basically, since you've identified King Charles as that man, then you can calculate his number, right? Yes. And he is literally the only human being in the history of the world to have that imagery, including to this day. His own sons do not have it. No other human being has ever had it. No other human being will ever have it. In all history, it's unique to him. Hmm. Now, there's another point to be made. The number 666, people read that in English or some other translation, and they think, well, gosh, what system could that be? Let's go you know, contrive one and see if we can make someone's name work out to 666, right? right. All kinds of clever systems have been produced. Usually, they tamper in one way or another in producing them as well, mm -hmm. as I address in the uh, Antichrist and Cup of Tea. You know, like, for example, Seventh-day Adventists, some of them trying to show that the Pope's title, his supposed title, which isn't actually a title of the Pope, works out to 666. But what most people miss is not only did they invent the system on which they're doing the calculation, they tampered with the normal Latin spelling of the title. They swapped out one letter. They swapped out a U for a V. <laughs> so that they could try well, to force it to 666. They've been doing all kinds of numbering, even with Trump. You know, they say, oh, this matches him. And so there's been, throughout history, people have been trying to force that, to mean that. Right. What I was pointing out, we saw that Charles has the imagery of the first beast. I've mentioned the calculation 666. The key thing here on this calculation is that we have to use the numbering system specified in the Greek text of Revelation 13, 18. It's given in the form of three Greek letters, not written out in the form of words, unlike, unlike most numbers uh, in the New Testament, for example. So we might write 6 as S-I-X, but this system is specified with one letter for 600, a second for 16, and a third for 6 in the underlying Greek text from which the English is translated. And it's the Greek text that's the inspired uh, manuscript, you know, of scripture. Mm -hmm. So we can't go invent some system on which to do the calculation. We now have the imagery in the person of Charles uh, that we saw on the coat of arms. Right. But here's the numbering system. This is a page from the first edition of the Antichrist and a Cup of Tea. 
in Arnott, it shows the original biblical numbering system, which was in Hebrew. And Hebrew cuts off after 22 characters. There are only 22 hieroglyphs mm -hmm. uh, in the language, if you if you don't uh, count separate ones for lowercase, as it were. But they're not really lowercase. They're final versions of the same characters. But anyway, there are 22 glyphs, 22 letters, if you will, in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Cuts off at 400. It's the Hebrew system. The original one that was transferred sequentially to the greek language sometime before the first century and it's the the greek system was expanded to include 500 through 900 hence we get 600 for the 600 and 666 mm -hmm. in that underlying uh greek text of revelation 13 18. right but the the system was transferred sequentially not phonetically and that's a very important point it means if we want to do the calculation of a word or a name in English or some other language, we need to transfer the the, the numbers sequentially, not phonetically. Okay. And that allows us to, to calculate the value of a name or a word natively without translating it or transliterating it, so no tampering in other words. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about the Greek system is you can't actually do calculations on it. You cannot reliably calculate the value of any name or word using the Greek system. And the reason for that is that the case matters. So, for example, in Prince Charles of Wales in English, uh -huh. a lower lowercase p versus an uppercase p oh, is going to have the exact same value on this system. And, and those for p, for example, it would be 70, regardless of whether it's lowercase or uppercase. Right. You know, for r, it would be 90, regardless of whether it's lowercase or uppercase. Right. Greek, on the other hand, the sequence of these characters, uh, they're not quite the same between yeah. the lowercase and uppercase Greek letters. Uh -huh. And as a consequence of that, if you calculate, you know, what would be prince in Greek, and I don't know what the word is off the top of my head. Right. If you use it as all capital letters in Greek or all lowercase letters in Greek, the uh -huh. two values you calculate for the same word will be completely different. Hmm. And likewise, if you simply mix the case, you know, do uppercase P, lowercase R-I-N-C-E in Greek, the equivalent of okay. it, versus all uppercase or all lowercase, you're going to get a third value, a third calculation. You literally can't use Greek to do the calculation, even though the system is specified in Greek. Right. We're forced to use another language, and that's somewhat telling in and of itself. But as it turns out, the title, Prince Charles of Wales, mm -hmm. with no tampering, you know, cutting the system off, at 400 because we're not using the greek version of the system to do the calculation yeah the title charles prince of wales transferring the original number sequentially to it works out to exactly 666. wow Precisely. what happens now since he's changed his title well we'll come to that so the same title in hebrew mm -hmm. which is nasik charles of wales it's exactly the same title nasik is an actual hebrew word Mm -hmm. Ma, mem, is used in place of of. Charles and Wales are transliterations of Charles and Wales in Hebrew. <coughs> Pardon me. I ran today, so I'm a little hoarse. So yeah. this, uh, Charles is transliterated. Wales is transliterated for Wales. But this is how it's actually spelled mm. in the Israeli press, for example. So in other words, I'm not tampering with the spelling here. 
This is how Charles, Prince of Wales, is spelled in the modern Israeli press. It's a prominent way of spelling it. Mm -hmm. uh, seek Charles of Wales on the original Hebrew system now. So we're not even having to transfer the numbers in this case. Mm -hmm. On the original Hebrew system, again, cutting it off at the 22 glyphs, yeah. works out to exactly 666. Mm -hmm. Both English and Hebrew. Mathematically, it's impossible. In yeah. fact, it's almost impossible for that to be true in a single language, let alone two. And here we're talking about two different languages with two completely different sets of numbers. Right. On the biblical numbering system, this fact alone is enough to categorically state Charles is the Antichrist. You can't intentionally make this up or contrive it or force it without tampering with a name, mm -hmm. you know, an actual name of any person alive on the planet. You can't force this to be true in, in a single language, let alone two. Right. And we've not only shown that, we've done it uh, in the context of the first beast symmetry. Right, which they created Those, themselves. Yep, well, the, the, this imagery was not created by Charles, nor was it created by the British monarchy. In fact, it was created by the College of Heraldry in London under the Garter Herald King, who's the most powerful herald in the world. Hmm. under international laws. There are international laws that apply to how this is done. They yeah. couldn't simply make it up as they go. Moreover, hmm. they take some of the symbols of the father's heraldic achievements, some of the mother's, they combine them, you know, assuming hmm. they both have their own heraldic achievements. They combine them, and then they add symbols for the individual to whom the heraldic achievement is being granted to form what is a unique heraldic achievement to the individual, like, like a genetic code in a sense. Mm -hmm. a genealogy almost but this is unique to charles under international law and they can't just make it up as they go every symbol on here is very specific and has specific meaning so you every single thing that um the unicorn horse there represents king charles his own personal symbolism so well it all does it all does but so, that little, the little horn, is that any mm -hmm. reference to the horse there? Yes. So this beast in Revelation 13 and elsewhere in Revelation rules for three and a half years. The Antichrist does, right? Yeah. The man who is the Antichrist for a time, times and a half time, three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Throughout the period of the Great Tribulation, the second half of Daniel's 70th week is when that actually occurs, not the first half. This is a corporate beast. The overall coat of arms, the heraldic achievement here, yeah, is a corporate beast, and I'll describe that in a moment. But there's completely different imagery used for the same individual who rules for three and a half years in the Old Testament in Daniel. Right. So Daniel chapter 7 describes that same individual as a little horn having the eyes of a man. Hmm. This unicorn on Charles' coat of arms is unusual. It's not completely unique like this one is in heraldry. Yeah. It's unusual. It doesn't happen very often that they put a unicorn with human eyes on a royal coat of arms. Mm -hmm. But in the case of Charles, that's what's here. And Charles refers to this one as, quote-unquote, my little horn. Mm -hmm. And when he comes to the United States, Charles, um, the code word that the Secret Service and so forth use for him mm -hmm. is unicorn. They call him unicorn. Oh, that's interesting. And there's a prominent unofficial version of Charles' heraldic achievement or coat of arms shown inside the book. Mm -hmm. Or again, you can see it's actually got human eyes. Mm -hmm. Normally, you'd have a round eye with no visible sclera or eye white, a round eye socket, like a horse, where you wouldn't see the uh, the sclera portion of the eye just looking at the horse. Mm -hmm. 
ordinarily yeah. just be a round, solid, dark eye. That's right. not what you have here. You actually have a human eye, a man's eyes, uh, in every version of Charles Heraldic Achievement. And this is the official one. So this is the little horn with the eyes of a man. That is also on his heraldic achievement. Uh -huh. Now, the helm here is the sovereign helm. He should never have had that, but he's had it since he was invested Prince of Wales, since uh -huh. he was created Prince of Wales, and they began to create his began to create his coat of arms. The sovereign helm suggests he's the ruler. Normally, this should have only gone to his mother. She was given this when she became queen. When she was princess, uh -huh. her own heraldic achievement did not have this helm. And mm -hmm. she didn't receive it on her heraldic achievement until she became queen. Mm -hmm. They modified her heraldic achievement to include this, and they made some other modifications to it. Mm -hmm. Charles has always had it, meaning he was intended to be on the throne from the start. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. And that shouldn't be done in heraldry, but they did do it on his coat of arms. So you must but, have about that too. Mm -hmm. The little horn of the eyes of a man comes up among ten horns, and he plucks up three by the roots in Daniel chapter 7. Yeah. Those three become his vassals. That is also symbolized here on the heraldic achievement. Everything that's stated in Scripture is symbolized on this heraldic achievement, and we won't have time to go into all of it, but yeah. here's one important one. There are seven bars in this helm. Uh, yeah. They're shaped like elephant's tusks. Yeah. If it's not the, so if it's not the sovereign helm, it does not have seven bars. It's got some other count, okay? There are seven bars. Beneath that is this thing here, which has actually three horns that are look like three horns plucked up by the roots. Uh -huh. Attach this base. It's the same symbol that you see around the neck of the unicorn. Oh, yeah, right. Around the neck of the little, uh, excuse me, the lion, leopard, bear, beast. Yeah. Around the neck of the red dragon. Wow. Around the neck of this beast at the top, which is... Actually, the same beast as this one. It's just another version of it. It's meant to represent this beast. So what was it again? The kingdoms uh, uprooted? Say that again. Uh, the, okay, there'll be three kingdoms. Well, no. There are ten horns that come up among the little horn of the eyes of man, this one. Yeah. Among it. You know, and he comes in among them. And he plucks up three by the roots. That's uh, what this symbolizes, okay? Yeah. But the point is, this is known as the label of the eldest son. If Charles, for example, were younger, or, or excuse me, older than he was, if he wasn't the eldest son, he'd have something else here, not yeah. this. This is the label of the eldest son in heraldry. But it looks like three horns plucked up by the roots. Right. Now, a horn in the Greek text can be shaped like a, a, a elephant's tusk, like these are on the helm. Yeah. It can be shaped like a chemistry vial, like these are here. Uh-huh plucked up by the roots it can be conically shaped like you see on the unicorn right here so the seven those are all horns the seven biblically. horns uh or the elephant tusks uh represent that reference in the bible about the seven rulers right the seven yes have these seven are the ten heads. horns right here i'm circling the ten horns that yeah. daniel seven is talking about the symbol oh. of those ten rulers right. right here i'm circling it three of which are plucked up by the roots it's symbolized here okay now, I'll explain what that actually is when I talk about how Charles comes to power. Right. Okay. But anyway, the point is, it's symbolized here on the heraldic achievement. The unicorn comes up among them. Yeah. So the red dragon was adopted in 1958 as the national symbol of Wales. It mm -hmm. traces historically to the Roman occupiers of ancient uh, Wales and then what became Wales and then ancient Britannia, what became England, etc. This red dragon 
was associated with those Roman cohorts. And before that, it goes back to the ones who occupied ancient Judea. So mm -hmm. John, in the first century, would have seen the precursor to this particular red dragon in the Promised Land, on the flags, the standards of the Roman cohorts. This unicorn represents Scotland, ordinarily, in, in uh, heraldry. Mm -hmm. This lion leopard bear beast would normally be a lion or lion leopard for England. Mm -hmm. This harp represents Ireland. It's the national symbol of Ireland. Uh, and it, it is in heraldry. Mm -hmm. And it represents the harp of David. It was the same design as the harp seen on the Arch of Titus carried away from the destroyed Second Temple in the first century. Mm -hmm. It's meant to represent the Davidic harp but it's a symbol of Ireland. So the point is the core nations of the United Kingdom are all symbolized here. Mm -hmm. There are 10 lion leopard bears at the center of the heraldic achievement, mm -hmm. four on this royal shield, which is the shield of Wales, six more on the royal shield of England. Mm -hmm. They're normally just lions or lion leopards. They're also known in scripture as the lions of Tarshish. Tarshish, in this case, being England. Mm -hmm. There are 10 on Charles' coat of arms. Of the ten, only seven have visible heads. Three are obscured. Mm -hmm. So you can count the visible heads. Only ten are actually countable. The others are cut off. They're obscured. Three of the ten are. Too much to count them. So do we know but, who those mm -hmm. seven heads are? Yes, they're the offspring of the United Kingdom historically. That's what's being symbolized here. Uh-huh. In this case, you know, this is not the exact ten who are going to be under Charles, but what they represent here, just the offspring in a general sense. If mm -hmm. there were just the six of England, for example, mm -hmm. it would represent uh, New Zealand, Canada, Australia, the United States. Mm -hmm. In other words, the historical offspring, if you will, of the United Kingdom. Okay. The nations that came from right. the United Kingdom. Okay. Yeah. So this is the badge of the Black Prince, which is laid out in that Awin kind of a symbol shape. Yeah. These are three ostrich feathers with a coronet around them and this motto, Ikdien, which is I serve or your man. And it, you read a coat of arms like this from top to bottom and left to right. It tells a story mm -hmm. and you read it like a book. And so this says, I, the Black Prince, this is the badge of the Black Prince, and I'll describe who he was in a moment. I, the Black Prince, serve the Red Dragon or Satan. Wow. Or uh, your black, your man, uh, your man, the black prince. Uh -huh. Yeah. In relation to the dragon, the dragon. But this, <clears throat> this label being around the neck of each of these beasts uh -huh. indicates that they are Charles. They're one and the same, in other words. This gold helm at the top center of the heraldic achievement uh -huh. is a corporate helm for the overall heraldic achievement, which in a mystical sense, you know, a magical sense, so far as the heralds are concerned, an occult sense, is unto itself a living spiritual entity. Mm. In the occult realm, that's how they view it. Yeah. So this is a corporate beast, in other words, that represents the United Kingdom that rises out of the sea. But at the same time, the individual beasts comprising it right. represent Charles. And what this is telling us with that label of the eldest son around the neck of the red dragon is that, the, is that Satan will become Charles. He'll possess him. In other words, the devil will possess Charles. So there's right. a chain. So, mm -hmm. Go ahead. If that means it has to be some visible notation when that happens, right? That Because right now, nobody really cares about King Charles except for those people that are behind the scenes. But the public at large 
most of them don't even like him. So, well, um, that's not really true. Um, you'll hear a lot of that in the press, yeah. particularly the British press. Right. Uh, a lot of people love him. Yeah. And if all you're reading is if all you're reading is the fluff in the British press, you'll come away thinking, well, most people don't have much of an opinion about Charles. Yeah. They might think he's um, kind of a goofball or that kind of thing. Or very, um, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Um, but how does the whole world go after him? Like people that normally would not even associate him more than just a figurehead for England. Like Charles is already running the world. He has been for decades. Charles, there's no global government yet. Yeah. But he has already been running things internationally for decades since his investor in July 1969. He has right. been the top globalist on the planet since then, bar none. So to give an example of that, they've already given their power and authority to him to an extent the nations have. Uh -huh. So for example, Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum. Right. Most people at this point in the last couple of years have heard of the World Economic Forum because of the Great Reset. Yeah. Right? Which Klaus Schwab wrote a book called The Great Reset, mentions COVID on it. Um, what people don't know most people, is that Klaus Schwab is a knight of Prince Charles, and now King Charles. He's one of his knights. Yeah, so basically... Charles has been involved with the WEF for decades through Klaus Schwab, and he's been at some of the meetings. Yeah. And in fact, it was Charles who announced the Great Reset to the world, not Schwab. Mm -hmm. It was Charles who announced the phrase, build back better to the world. Not anybody yeah. else before Charles. Yeah. Charles was the first human being to announce those two phrases to the world, and he announced the Great Reset from the World Economic Forum itself. Charles did that months before Klaus Schwab came out with his book titled The Great Reset. In other words, that whole agenda to which most of the world is now signed on through the World Economic Forum, which is decimating the world today, and I'll describe how it is in a moment, that agenda is all Charles' agenda. It's his agenda. It's under wait, him. Wait. I agree with that, that if it is his agenda and the most, and he instituted all these policies with COVID and the lockdowns and all of that stuff, most people are not in favor of what's just happened to us in the last. No, he, he didn't institute it. He didn't? Others under him instituted it. It's his agenda. Right. But Knights that's and I mean. others under him are carrying it out. Right. But that's that's what I mean. So why would anybody favor him when... All of this stuff that's been happening is, you know, working against the people. Why would the people will rally up to support him as God someday? Because the people believe lies, starting in this case, in this particular discussion with the eco-fascist movement, the idea that there's a climate emergency or that global warming is happening and it threatens mankind and humanity is responsible for it, these kinds of things. You know, when they're trying to push the so-called green agenda, which is a big part of the Great Reset. Yeah. What they're really doing, the real agenda, you know, what they're not saying, uh, and what some people are starting now to figure out, is that it is about collapsing the global energy infrastructure. Yeah. Because it is literally not possible to bring on so-called green energy for decades. And certainly not anywhere close to enough to provide even a, even a small percentage of the global energy usage today yeah all the green energy on the planet today cannot come close to providing more than a small percentage of that energy supply and it will take decades to change that like yeah 30 to 50 years at least 
if you're talking they're, solar they're wanting, but they're wanting it all at once right they're now. wanting it all by 2030 yeah and so what they're doing is they're pushing things that are pie in the sky lies before the public realizes they're pie in the sky sky lies to shut down coal plants to shut down nuclear to push so-called green energy to tamp down on oil and gas production etc to destabilize the primary source of uranium for nuclear power plants which by the way is russia mm. today so that they can't even export that besides natural gas they destabilize that and then of course a lot of the you know fertilizer net um artificial fertilizer which is responsible for you know 40 or more percent probably more than that of global food production yeah. Without it, that much food production goes away annually, like overnight. You know, requires natural gas to produce. You can't produce it without natural gas right now. And that means if they get rid of natural gas on the market, they also get rid of artificial fertilizer to a large degree. Food production dramatically decreases globally. There's starvation from that alone, but that's just one piece of it. The other piece is collapsing the energy infrastructure. And without that, and we're, we're, we're on the edge now, and Europe is on the edge of that currently. Without that, transportation breaks down. So even if the food is being produced, it can't be brought to your local grocery store to go buy, if you can even get there to buy it, if your car won't run. Right. Um, there are a lot of other threats to the energy infrastructure as well, including war-based threats such as electromagnetic pulse events that can occur. That could happen naturally from a Carrington type event from the sun. But if he's but, leading mm -hmm. all of this stuff and he's going to be solving world's problems, how is that going to coincide when he's trying to starve the people out? He's not trying to solve the world's problems. That's my point. He's a fake savior. Oh. My point I mean, is they're not trying to save the world environmentally. They're trying to kill mankind globally. The yeah. real agenda is not to deal with the climate emergency is to wipe out 90 plus percent of the global human population without having to destroy all the infrastructure that's been built is wow. to starve the world to death and to freeze the world to death that well, is the actual now, purpose even of with it. the shots so that's already started the genocide COVID is yeah the shots and now they're bringing that same technology so-called technology gene therapeutics into the flu shot you yeah. know the real point of it that's a whole other thing that we can talk at length about um, but I have a book on the depopulation agenda coming as well that addresses that and many other facets to the depopulation agenda. But yeah, COVID is one piece of that. It's one piece of that. And they've already killed off a, a, some percentage of mankind with it. There are a lot of walking dead people today right. who are taking those shots who are going to suddenly kill over dead in the next few years from damage that has already occurred. And they yeah. don't even know that they're going to just suddenly kill over dead. We see more and more of that happening to people who are on television, you know, whether they be athletes or news reporters or people in school or people at a podium delivering a speech or walking here or there, whatever it is, they literally just drop dead. Right. Yeah, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of those videos. Yep. Uh, coming back to Prince Charles or King Charles, how are people going to be worshiping him? Because that's so, part of the mark of the beast. All right. Well, I pointed out, you know, that this Great Reset agenda, which is really the actualization right. of the New World Order, uh -huh. is under Charles. 
But so is the agenda of the World Health Organization, so is the agenda of the United Nations, so is the entire Mideast false peace process, and so are a few so, other agendas. They're all under Charles and have been built up under him for decades. So, the so I think peace the system has actually been worshipping him all along by complying and going along. The system has submitted to him yeah. all this time and not worshipping him yet, that's coming. Right. So, in other words, he'll be there'll be a mortal wound that this first beast receives per Revelation thirteen. Yeah, and the recovery from that will be such that the world begins to follow after this beast. Oh, okay. okay? And the false prophet, that other beast that comes out of the land, who I believe is the false prophet, the one with two horns like a lamb and speaks like a dragon. Yeah, will say to the world to make an image to the beast and so forth. Right per what's written there in Revelation thirteen. Right. And the world will follow after this beast at that point. What I believe is happening at that point, based on that and other passages of Scripture, is that the Antichrist is possessed by Satan at that point. Mm -hmm. His personality will change a bit at that point. That's when the Antichrist and the devil are one and the same, right? if you will. Yeah. Just as when the Antichrist, or excuse me, just as when Judas Iscariot, the first son of perdition, was possessed by Satan to right. go betray Christ. For his crucifixion, yeah. the Antichrist will be possessed by Satan to go to go betray Israel and the Church right. for Israel's national crucifixion, which is something that I address, and I'm not just making those words up. Something that I addressed in this Messiah history in the tribulation period multi-volume series, the systematic theology. Mm -hmm. I'm showing that Israel is nationally crucified in connection with the start of the Great Tribulation. That that's what it is about. Uh -huh. But. Um, and then the church, you know, Christians are led as lambs to the slaughter at the same time right. out of the Antichrist. You know, Christ was the lamb. In him will be led as lambs, quote-unquote, to the slaughter. Mm -hmm. So the point is, when the Great Tribulation starts, the Antichrist is possessed by the devil. It's at that same point that multiple other things transpire, one of which is the constitution of the global government, another of which is the possession of Charles by the devil, mm -hmm. another is the placement of the idol on the Temple Mountain. We haven't even talked about that yet, but this is it right here. Yeah. This is the actual idol that is going to be put on the Temple Mount wow. the Antichrist, the actual desolating abomination. That's crazy. Not on the Temple Mount yet, so but we're looking it, at the actual idol. They have it planned to make this large size and put it on the Temple Mount? It's already been made. This is the miniature version. Yeah. It has Charles' head. This is Prince Charles' head on it. But they're actually planning to put this bigger life-size version on the Temple Mount? They aren't. The devil is. Yeah. And that's where it's going to go. So, talking about this, this statue was created years after the first edition of the Antichrist and Cup was published. Again, that edition was published in 1998. This statue came out in the early 2000s. It was commissioned by a Brazilian state government hailing Charles as the environmental savior of the world. And the statue actually is inscribed Savior of the World at the base of it mm -hmm. in English spelling. They handed this to Charles. This is the miniature version. Yeah. And the BBC photographed it and reported on it. This is a BBC photograph. In the early 2000s, it's got Charles' head, his face, and it's got a mass of human bodies that he's standing atop looking up to him as Savior of the World. An angelic figure dressed only in a loincloth without spread wings. This specific statue, and I go into the details in the second edition of the Antichrist in Capitia, is described in Daniel 9.27 in the root words, this exact statue. 
mm. in granular detail, including the fact that it's only dressed in a loincloth. Wow. It's even associated with the meaning of the name Charles in that verse, in the root words. Mm -hmm. So people won't understand that, but I break it down from the Hebrew text in my book. And in the second edition of the Antichrist Cupti, which goes to press this month, and people can order it now from Prophecy House. But at any rate, there's a full-size version of this statue that's in a crated, you know, somewhere in a warehouse in a crate somewhere. That biblically, you know, this, the, there were two statues that went on either side of the Ark of the Covenant in, in uh, the Second Temple, historically. There were 10 cubits in height each. They were angelic statues. They were cherubim, statues of cherubim. There were two of them, one on either side of the Ark. There were 10 cubits in height each, per scripture. Mm -hmm. The full-size version of this statue, they gave, you know, more than one estimate for it but the common one that was given in the press when they reported on this event and this being given to charles for the full-size version mm -hmm. uh, would equate to 10 cubits possibly mm -hmm. biblically and i show how that works out as well in the second edition of the antichrist and the cup of tea what that means is it's already the precise height it needs to be to to go into a newly constructed holy place on the temple mount in the future how do you know they're going to put it in the Temple Mount? Have they declared that already? No, and I don't think that Israel even knows it exists for the most part. Oh. But, you but think the people behind this are going to put it there, and the devil is going to put it there. This is the idol. You're looking at it. Oh. This is the idol described in Daniel 9.27 in the Hebrew text. Wow. And what is also so significant about this is that the idol, when it does go on the Temple Mount, occurs at the same time that per Zechariah 12 to 14, Jerusalem is encircled by the militaries of the nations, and half of Jerusalem is taken captive in war by force, and the Gentiles begin to trample the Temple Mount area underfoot per Revelation 11 at the start of the Great Tribulation. All that happens at the same time, basically, in, you know, in short order at the start of the Great Tribulation. So when this is placed on the Temple Mount, and Charles is possessed by the devil, Satan will be looking out through Charles' eyes at this thing on the Temple Mount, seeing his face on it, and it will literally be what's described in 2 Thessalonians 2, where the devil is showing himself that he is God sitting where he should not or standing where he should not, meaning on the Temple Mount. He'll be looking at this idol to himself with his face. This idol is based on Zeus and Jupiter historically, from the, uh, the head gods of the, uh, the Greeks and the Romans. They were typically portrayed as dressed only in a loincloth. And sometimes they also had wings, eagle's wings. All right, so this statue uh, is describing the root words in Daniel 9.27, as I had mentioned. And every detail on it in terms of the loincloth, the overspreading wings, the association uh, with the name Charles, that is actually compassed in Daniel 9.27, as I lay out in the second edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. But historically, there's something else very significant here, and that is that the Greeks and the Romans worshipped Zeus slash Jupiter, I'm trying to say, as the head, you know, false gods of their pantheons of false gods, as it were, the, the top god of Mount Olympus or Mount Zephon, for example. Uh, and by the way, Mount Zephon, the real one, is Mount Zion. The Hebrew word for Mount Olympus is Zephon. Mm. 
I don't know if you knew that. No. Nope. Um, SEMA, but Mount Zion is the real Mount Olympus. Wow. So Satan has counterfeited all of that. Mm -hmm. And for the Greeks, it was Zeus. For the Romans, Jupiter. Well, they would typically uh, represent through idols Zeus or Jupiter as either completely naked, you know, like a man who is nude, or dressed only in a loincloth. Mm -hmm. And occasionally they would have overspreading wings as well, like eagle's wings. So that is what this statue to Charles is representing with his face. It's basically saying that he is intended to be Zeus or Jupiter in that context because of the fact that he's dressed only in a loincloth. Right. You know, apart from the fact that there are these overspreading wings, etc. So the day will come when the devil will be looking through Charles' face after possessing him at the start of the Great Tribulation, and the full-sized version of this statue, this idol, is placed on the Temple Mount. The devil will be looking at that and seeing his own face on it, and it will be just exactly as described in 2 Thessalonians 2, you know, where he, uh, the devil is showing himself that he is God, sitting, sitting where he shouldn't, you know, quote-unquote God. Mm -hmm. And so all of that is compassed in relation to this idol, to Charles, as the quote-unquote environmental savior of the world. And I pointed out earlier in this interview that that environmentalism is not about saving the world ecologically in reality it's about depopulating the world and then enslaving the surviving um, you know hundreds of millions of mankind they want to depopulate to perhaps you know half a billion people roughly and there's a lot of detail around that that i bring out in a subsequent book on mm -hmm. the depopulation agenda so it's not all about you know ecofascism or you know toxic jabs or any number of other things and in the end it's not going to work out the way that the so-called elite are wishing it to you know they'd like to accomplish this without destroying the global infrastructure but instead warfare is coming judgments from god are coming right. yeah, including from off earth comet and asteroid strikes you know but the whole world infrastructure is run by people so if they don't want to destroy it what are they going to look at just buildings well you can't have a world war without destroying the global infrastructure at this point no, that I understand, but I mean... Yeah, and you can't like, have the Earth the, struck by comets and asteroids without destroying much of the infrastructure. Yeah, so they're willing to destroy the whole world to have only a few survive it? They're willing to annihilate most of humanity and enslave the rest. And in fact, they plotted to do that for several decades. This is not something that happened in the last couple of years. And um, they've spoken about it for several decades. And now they've... They put rubber to the road, as it were. They're they're implementing it. They have been since the start of the Great Reset. They're actively implementing it. And what they're not wanting to see happen is global warfare, such as nuclear war, for example. Mm -hmm. They don't want to see all this stuff destroyed. They want to be able to inhabit it and use it later. Um, with the survivors they enslave. Yeah, I guess. So all the symbolism at the bottom of that statute are those like humanity dying yes and no they're meant to be surviving mankind looking up to charles as a savior of the world kind of figure in this oh, case the context in which it was given as an environmental savior of the world and in fact not only does it have his face and was reported as explicit explicitly reported as having his face when the bbc photographed this mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And that's intentional. But it also is inscribed Savior of the World on the base of the statue. They're explicitly calling Charles the Savior of the World. So in order to have Savior of the World, it has to get to that state where it looks like at the bottom of the statue, doesn't it? Where I would say we're there. We're already there. So in other words, he's not yet possessed by the devil, but otherwise yeah. we're already there. In other words, the world is currently totally suckered at this point, the leadership is, into this eco-fascist agenda. Mm -hmm. the, there's the Hegelian dialectic, so let me just describe this a little bit. So we look at the nations today and we can see that World War III is coming. Mm -hmm. And we think that the nations aren't unified at the top for that reason. Mm -hmm. Right? We would normally think that. Right. But Russia is part of the World Economic Forum under Putin. Xi Jinping, China's leader, is part of the World Economic Forum. Uh, World yeah. Economic Forum under Charles, I meant to say, under King Charles yeah. III, under Schwab. They're part of the WEF. Israel's part of it. The United States is part of it. Saudi Arabia. Most of the nations of the world are signed under that agenda under Charles. The nations are under the uh, United Nations, right? Well, the United Nations exists because of the League of Nations historically, right? Mm -hmm. The League of Nations, it came out of the League of Nations. The League of Nations uh, came out of, by and large, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which is also known as Chatham House in London, which has been headed for decades by Charles, both as Prince of Wales and now as King. The United Nations has a Global Security Lecture Series. I like this example because... Uh, and it pushes public-private partnerships, et cetera. But it has a global, global security lecture series. And this, the lecture is given about once a year, I believe. But Charles personally initiated it, and he personally delivered the first global security lecture at the United Nations in person. Mm -hmm. The United Nations <clears throat> has peacekeeper forces. Charles has talked for decades about having a standing United Nations Army, explicitly stating he'd like to be the commander of that army himself. Wow. So That I was actually documented in the first edition, the 1998 edition, of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. That's not new. And so my point is the UN is under him. You know, I point out that Klaus Schwab is a knight of Charles. Mm. Bill Gates... You know, a lot of people look at Bill Gates in relation to uh, COVID and because he's pushing yeah. so-called vaccines and so forth. Right. Bill Gates largely funds the World Health Organization. It's a private entity. Yeah. The, the, the who is? Bill Gates yeah. is a knight of Charles. He's one of Charles Knights. Ah, that's why they all keep doing what they're doing. What about so the world? Yeah. And the World Health Organization, you know, the CDC and the, the uh, NIH, NIAID, et cetera, they're all co-opted. Yeah. By these same entities. Uh, they're all operating under Charles, whether they realize it or not. And it's through these kinds of things that I'm talking about that this is happening. There's an awful lot more in my book. It, it would take us hours just to outline what's in my book. Yeah. Uh, just to outline it. So the book is heavy on documentation showing with independently verifiable documentation how Charles is actually controlling the world through multiple entities like these mm -hmm. and actually running the show behind the scenes. You know, we talked about, just to give you another example that was recent, we went into length about this ceremony under Charles, right? <clears throat> At the beginning of our interview yeah. today? Right. All right. 
you know, with the, the woman riding the beast and so yeah. forth. Well, the real beast is that imagery on Charles' coat of arms in scripture, right? Yeah. This is a portrayal in another version of it, you know, with the Baal, Molech worship, etc. Yeah. Charles at this event read a scroll from his mother, you know, counterfeiting, if you will, Moses coming down off Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Moses objecting to the worship of the golden calf, Charles accepting it, praising it effectively. Mm -hmm. Okay, the opposite attitude on the part of the Antichrist. Moses was a type of Christ. Therefore, Charles being the Antichrist is also a counterfeit of Moses. Yeah. Well, six weeks after this event right here on July 28th, Queen Elizabeth II died. Hmm. And Charles automatically became King of England. Wow. So Earlier, not long after that, November 4th this year, Charles... Uh, oversaw meetings in London. Okay, so COP27 happened right after that, mid-November this mm -hmm. year, last month. Yeah. COP27 was held in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, and overlooked by, you know, what's called Mount Sinai. It's not the real Mount Sinai, but that's the false identification of it, the prominent one. Mm -hmm. Overlooked by Mount Sinai. So while COP27 was happening, which is the Global Climate Talks, under the annual global climate talks now under the united nations uh this event was happening on mount sinai where they were unveiling a fake set of ten commandments largely tied into the eco-fascist agenda under, under charles wow. to the world well the stakeholders of the world who were present for cop 27 and charles didn't go because he's now king he was going to go he didn't the stakeholders met in london under charles November 4th, mm -hmm. just days before COP27 happened, for mm -hmm. Charles to hash out things and direct things beforehand. At the same time that that was happening, 50 of the individuals, including some of those COP27 stakeholders, were in London meeting to hash things out for what happened on Mount Sinai, giving the fake Ten Commandments in the, on that fake Mount Sinai, that counterfeit Mount Sinai in Egypt overlooking Sharm el-Sheikh. All of that was done under Charles right after this event with the bull in Birmingham, England. So do you think any day now this could, he could transform himself as Satan? No, he's going to, he'll, you know, the devil could possess him temporarily, but he's going to be possessed till the Lord cast him down to hell, starting at the great tribulation. That has not come yet. So let's talk about that just a little bit to answer that better and how and when he's going to actually rise to power. So let me, and let me point something else out too. You know, people look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Revelation chapter six. Yeah. And they naturally tend to think that um, the for those horsemen won't be revealed until we're in the last seven years mm -hmm. of the tribulation week, right? Until mm -hmm. we're actually in Daniel's 70th week. Right. Because the horsemen ride in that week. That's when they do their main thing, biblically, prophetically, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not actually correct. That is when they ride. Mm -hmm. They're not riding yet, unless we're already in the tribulation week. Okay. But they are all identified before that week even begins. I've identified all of them at this point. We've only been talking in this whole interview. Mm -hmm. So far, except briefly, you know, we've only been talking about one of them. The fiery red horse is the second one. The rider of that horse, the second seal yeah. of the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Charles is the fourth horseman. 
He is? Let me explain. Yes, he is. That's who he is. That would be the green horse, no? And he's not actually yeah. green, so that's why I'm showing you this. Or pale horse. And he's not actually pale. So mm. he is and he's not. So that fourth seal's horse is actually pale green gray. That's the meaning of the Greek text in Revelation mm -hmm. 6, verses 7 to 8. It's the color of rotting human flesh. Mm. That's the meaning of the Greek text. You'll notice the unicorn here yeah. is not white, like the background. Yeah. This is a red, green, blue, or RGB color spectrum, as if you had printed the cover yeah. using an RGB gamut, color gamut. The RGB color gamut is wider. It covers more colors mm -hmm. than the CMYK color gamut does. This is the CMYK color gamut, the same coat of arms. <laughs> and you'll notice you don't see so much of the green here. Yes. And actually, when it's printed, the book cover, yeah, when the book cover is actually printed in CMYK, which is what's typically used mm. for an offset press for paperback books, mm. there's not enough of the color spectrum to capture much of the green. So the unicorn ends up, ends up looking whitish gray mm. for the most part. Mm. But the actual coloration on the actual coat of arms on Char for Charles Unicorn yeah. is pale green gray. Huh. In other words, it's actually the precise color of that fourth horse of the apocalypse. Yeah. And so the horseman's name, the horse, the, the person who rides that horse, his name is Death. Yeah. So we he, know from yeah. 1 Corinthians 15 and other, I think it's 15, but from 1 Corinthians and other passages in the New Testament, that the last enemy to be swallowed up and cast down to hell is named Death, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that that name is associated with the devil himself. Now, I've pointed out, you know, and, and those who hate God love death, right? Yeah. They love the devil, ultimately. Right. So the devil is going to possess Charles, who's also represented as this unicorn, represented as a species of feet like a bear body, like a leopard, mouth like a lion. He's going to possess him. And Charles' name at that point, as the rider of this horse, the unicorn in this case, will be death. What is he the, is the fourth horseman. there, the chain on his neck? So the chain and heraldry, I didn't get to that earlier, is explicitly called a restrainer. That's what they actually yeah. formally call this in heraldry. It's a restrainer. And when it's bound to the base of the coat of arms like it is here, mm -hmm. and this is called a compartment. So the red dragon is in something called a compartment. Mm -hmm. You'll notice the red dragon is not touching the edge of right. anything here, right? Mm -hmm. So the chain is called bound. They actually use that terminology in heraldry. It's official mm -hmm. terminology. This restrainer is bound on Charles' heraldic achievement, not loosed. Mm -hmm. They actually use that. When this chain is not bound, it's called loosed. Mm -hmm. The state that we're seeing here, the state it's in, is bound. And the unicorn is not touching the compartment. So inside the book, I show the most prominent unofficial version of Charles' heraldic achievement. You know, artistic rendition like this one. Mm -hmm. And there are a few key, few key changes, pardon me, that were made to it. And it existed when the first edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea was published. In fact, it existed in 1987 also. Mm -hmm. So I show it in the book. But one of the differences is that the red dragon is actually touching the compartment mm -hmm. beneath the unicorn. As soon as that happens on that same unofficial version, the unicorn lifts up its hoof off of that compartment. So the, this hoof that I'm circling here with the mouse yeah. is not touching the compartment at that point. So that's the also, unofficial versions that they're doing that too? 
Correct. The so, unicorn rears back, rears back, kind of like we saw the bull when it lifted up on its two front legs. Yeah. The mm -hmm. unicorn rears back. It lifts this hoof after the red dragon touches this compartment. The chain is loosed mm -hmm. on that unofficial version. The right. demeanor of the unicorn completely changes. Mm -hmm. Right now, it has a graceful appearance, even though it's got the color of rotting human flesh. Right. On that unofficial version, it takes on a deathly appearance, mm -hmm. a very demonic appearance. So in scripture, the son of perdition, there's a prophecy that's quoted of Judas's carryout, the first son of perdition, uh -huh. who I mentioned earlier, who's possessed by Satan before he goes to possess, before he goes yeah. to betray Christ through right. the crucifixion. It says of Judas that he lifted his hoof against the Lord. If you go look uh -huh. up the meaning of the Hebrew text that's being quoted of uh -huh. Judas lifting his heel or his hoof against the Lord, the, the meaning is hoof. Uh -huh. So the other son of perdition in scripture is the foretold Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And what do we see on his unofficial heraldic achievement, the one I'm describing? He yeah, actually lifts yeah. his hoof wow. and the devil possesses him. That imagery is on here too, on the unofficial version. In other words, this is like a living entity as far as the heralds are concerned. Yeah. Who are behind it. And they mm -hmm. show it animated between the first and second coats of arms that I'm describing, the official one here and then that prominent unofficial version one yeah so the unofficial one represents the point at which charles is possessed by the devil in other words they've known from the beginning that that would happen so are they going to make it official once you know showing the hoof off they very well could then when we'll that have to wait and see. that we're that's the time well even if that doesn't other things will because the global yeah. government will be constituted Half of Jerusalem will be encircled by the militaries of the nations. You can't possibly miss that. In history, mm -hmm. Jerusalem was encircled multiple times, historically. Mm -hmm. Every time when the city was sacked, the entire city was taken. There was never a time in history where Jerusalem was encircled by the adversaries of Israel, and they only took part of the city. They always took the whole thing. But mm -hmm. between Zechariah 12 and 14, we're told they're only going to take half of the city. Mm -hmm. And then we see that also in Revelation 11, where the Temple Mount area gets trampled underfoot. That's the old city or where the Temple Mount sits, what's called today, east of Jerusalem. And since 1967, when Israel captured the remainder of the city of Jerusalem, meaning the old city, uh, since then, uh, the world has called upon Israel to give up half of Jerusalem, meaning east of Jerusalem, so-called, mm -hmm. the original old city of Jerusalem. And telling Israel, you just keep the Western half, the modern additions to it. Mm -hmm. And Israel, of course, has refused. The whole city is Israel's capital. Mm -hmm. But my point in all of that is there'll be some very obvious things, whether or not that unofficial, prominent, unofficial of Israel, uh, version of Israelic achievement becomes the one that's suddenly shown to the world, whether that happens or not. They mm -hmm. have already portrayed that as a future event. In other words, these heraldic achievements are meant to be prophetic, mm -hmm. among other things. And so, and so God kind of said, okay, we'll use it. And here it is. He described it in scripture. So do and, you think all the world governments know this too, that King Charles is the one? No, I don't believe that. And in fact, probably only a very few people at the top know that he's the Antichrist. They've covered it up. Mm. The monarchy has covered it up. I think his mother knew from the start. She called him the chosen one from mm. his birth. She was a Satan worshiper as a princess before mm -hmm. she became queen.
I show her at her own event at Karen Arvon Castle before Charles was invested in July 1969, mm. where the red dragon was the central symbol of that event at her event at the castle. And then before that, I show her in the forest in Wales, where the red dragon was the central symbol of that event where she was participating in druidry mm. under the symbol of Satan. So how yeah, and Charles, mm -hmm. how does the United States fit into all this? Since it seems like they lead a lot of the stuff that's been happening, um, they seem to be the leading the world into whatever agenda that's going on. So the answer to that kind of comes back to the where I was driving with all of this. Um, let me answer that by saying a few other things first. Okay. So I have known and others who've paid attention to what I've said and also who have paid attention to what Monty Judah has said. Monty Judah found that unofficial version of Charles Heraldic Achievement, a partial cutoff version of that yeah. in a library in Colorado Springs in the 1980s. And he also had the English name calculation, which I showed already in this interview, yeah. uh, right before he showed it to me. In 1987, he had it a little bit before that. Well... Monty and those two with whom he was sharing that, including me, mm -hmm. and then those who've seen my book and whom I've spoken with since 1987, have seen the evidence that Charles is the Antichrist. In other words, we've known who the fourth horseman is all this time. Right. He's not yet riding, but he's been identified for decades before yeah. he even rides, before he's over a global government. That's the point I'm making. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me, I need to clear my throat. The other three horsemen, of the uh, Revelation 6 of the Apocalypse, yeah, I have likewise identified all of them. Yeah. And yes, and one of them is the leader of North Korea. As the Red The United States is involved. There's this Hegelian dialectic. In other words, the symbolism exists both on the side with North Korea and on the side with the United mm -hmm. States. And they'll face off against one another when World War III is triggered, meaning when peace is taken from the earth as described in that second seal of Revelation 6, verses 3 to 4. But who's the red horse between, is it North Korea or United States, or both? Both, both. Mm -hmm. My point is, North Korea uses it as its national symbol. It's actually a, a horse that comes out of Asian mythology, mm -hmm. and it's called Kalima or, Kolim, or Kolima, at Kolima, however you pronounce it, and it is a fiery red pegasus able to... Uh, jump great distances in a single bound, leap great distances, if you will. North Korea has that Pegasus overlooking downtown Pyongyang as a huge statue. It's not a red-colored statue, but they light it up with fiery torches at night, mm -hmm. uh, at least once a year. I think it's more than once a year. And there are photos of it on the internet, but when they do that, it looks like a. it's got a fiery red hue around it with all the torches lighting it up. Mm -hmm. And then on their currency, they show it in red, They've also named a number of their armaments after this horse, uh, Colima or Konima, you know, including tanks and fighter jets and tor you know, missiles, torpedoes. And then in addition to that, the United States had the Red Horse Brigades, which was an acronym for the Rapid Engineering Deployment, whatever, you know, engineering brigades mm -hmm. facing off against North Korea in the Korean War. We called them the Red Horse Brigades because we understood the nation did at that time that North Korea was symbolized by the Red Horse. Okay, so how about <clears throat> now, the United States, Magnolia Oil chose that same symbol mm. for their symbol. 
the fiery red yeah. Pegasus. Right. And then that became mobile oil. You see it on the gas stations from like the 1970s and yeah. so forth, the gas pumps and mobile oil gas stations and so forth on the oil cans that they were selling, et cetera. Then yeah. Exxon Mobil, you know, mobile joined, you know, merged to become Exxon Mobil. Yeah. Then Rex, Teller, Rex Tillerson, the uh, CEO of Exxon Mobil, stepped down to become the Secretary of State of the United States mm -hmm. under Trump initially. And so we had Rex Tillerson, who had been the head of this symbol, the fiery red horse on the U.S. side, facing off against North Korea, Kim Jong-un, you know, when Trump was in office, showing us the two sides. In other words, this book was published in 2018. I started writing it in 2007. I've known about this symbolism since then, since a little bit before then. So is it like United States leading off to the red horse wars? Well, yes, the United States, you know, in this case, at the head of NATO, mm -hmm. North Korea, you know, at the head of China, actually. Oh, so China and US. There's a mutual defense pact between North Korea and China. Mm -hmm. So North Korea is like the head that, that wags the dog. In this case, China's the dog, the tail, the serpent's tail. At any rate, you've got uh, Iran and Russia tied in with North Korea and China. Mm -hmm. uh, and some other nations, you've got the United States tied in with NATO and Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. right? Israel kind of situated in the middle right now. This is from an Asian-centric perspective. And I talked about the war that's happening right now in Ukraine in yeah. this book, which was huh. published in 2018, years before the war started. Wow. And the next thing, and I talk about what's coming after this in mm -hmm. this book. So it's already in this book, what's about to happen in the world. And... You know, what's leading into World War Three and who does what, you know, the alliances and so mm -hmm. forth. But my point is, we've got all of this happening under the United Nations, under the World Economic Forum, uh -huh. for example, over which is Charles animating it at the top under the devil. Right. So you think that they're divided, but really it's just another way to depopulate the world and to drag the world into the global government that they're going to constitute so mm -hmm. how is that government going to actually come to pass well in the first edition of the antichrist nikopatia i suggested that it would be through an expansion of the u.n security council to 10 permanent members mm -hmm. i wrote about that in the first edition of the book you'll find it in the 1998 edition it's also in this one where three of the 10 are from the european union germany france and england and the british monarchy historically most most closely genealogically today is the monarchy over all three of those nations germany france and england mm -hmm. and also grace through prince philip charles father who's now deceased like his mother but the point is uh we could wake up one day and the u.n security council could be expanded to 10 permanent members three of the 10 being from the european union under charles immediately under charles and five of the ten being from the east as we think of the east-west division in the world five from the west precisely matching what's described in daniel so in daniel you've got these ten kings represented as ten toes five on each of two legs earlier in daniel on the statue in nebuchadnezzar's vision mm -hmm. five toes on each of two legs those two legs are historically understood by most theologians as the east-west division of the roman empire so in other words, five of those toes or five of the horns of Daniel 7 represent the east. The other five represent the west. If we want to think of the east-west division in the world today. 
at my last nine minutes. So I wanted to cover um, the white horse and which two do we not cover? The black and the white horse? Well, I'll go into that. Yeah, I think that's too much for the audience today. Uh Um, We've covered a lot of ground. I will say this. I have a separate book coming on those other two horses. I can say a little bit about it. People can go up on my YouTube channel Uh uh, and then eventually on my other social media, but they can see a presentation I gave this year in November at a church where I asked, "Is and the title of it is basically, is King Charles the Antichrist over other Antichrists? So biblically, there are many antichrists historically, mm-hmm. and today there's not just one, but there is the antichrist, meaning the individual who's going to be over a global government, the most, the most powerful and prominent antichrist of all history, in other words, yeah, who's going to be over a global government for three and a half years and who is going to face off, if you will, against Christ and his angels at his return, mm-hmm. you know, under the devil with the devil's angels, the other fallen angels. Face off against Christ. That Antichrist is Charles, none other than Charles. So I think it'll look mm-hmm. supernatural when it finally sort of comes together. Like, because doesn't it say in the Bible that fire will come from heaven and signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So in Revelation 13, the, um, get back to it here. Okay. The second beast, the one that arises out of the land, who most people yeah. think is the false prophet, and I agree with that. It's the false prophet, I think. Uh, exercises the authority of the first beast in his presence yeah. as Charles. Uh-huh. And part of that is he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth right. inside of men. There are a lot of ways to view that. One is supernatural, mm-hmm. you know, like calling lightning down, if you will. Kind of yeah. like the two witnesses will do under um, the Lord when mm-hmm. they torment the nations, trampling uh, the temple mount area underfoot, as we read in Revelation chapter 11, yeah. two chapters before this in Revelation. Yeah. Another way to read this is modern armaments. That's another way. In other words, it could be bombs dropping from the sky for all we know. Could be missiles. Mm. Could be lasers. Could be a variety of things. It could be all of the above. Right, and it may fit into the idea of aliens, too, you know, coming to Earth somehow. Potentially. Well, you know, I'm not going to go that far, but it's possible. Yeah. Um, this has been incredible. So I'm going to um, close up here because uh, it's yeah, been- Before you close that up, let me make yeah. sure everybody sees again how they can get this material. So, And I will post all of these links uh, in the blog and podcasts so they can easily be able to reference your website and your YouTube channel and whatever media links that you want to share. Yeah, thank you. So I'm on uh, Telegram right now where I share links to interviews and presentations and other things. Great. Uh, but let me just briefly overview what sure. I've got. So obviously we've been talking a lot about the Antichrist and a cup of tea. Yeah. The second edition goes to press this month. It ships in the first half of next year. People can order it for less now. It will be more expensive once it starts to ship. You can order it right now. This book, North Korea Ran in the Coming World War, which deals with the fiery red horse, the second seal of the apocalypse, unlike the fourth seal, which in this case is uh, in the Antichrist and Cup of Tea. Mm -hmm. So 
all of these horsemen have identi been identified before they start to ride, just like Charles was decades ago. Mm -hmm. I've identified the second uh, SEALs rider, you know, with this book, book North Korea ran in the coming World War. There's mm -hmm. another book coming, not mentioned yet, on this site that identifies the first and third horsemen. Mm -hmm. So that's coming. Then there's a book on the Mark of the Beast coming, not mentioned on this site yet, but that'll be coming soon. Yeah, a polemic on the last days coming soon. A book on the depopulation agenda, which is far more extensive than just COVID, in which uh, I document, I show the actual, actually who's over it globally, who it's under, who initiated it, who's actually behind all of it. In other words, it's not Anthony Fauci or, you know, yeah, Michelle Walensky, Walensky or the head of the World Health Organization or even Bill Gates. Yeah. You know, uh, they're all part of it. Right. But it's actually under the British monarchy, and it was under Prince Philip, who's now dead. And now it's under Charles, though he's been uh -huh. over it for quite some time, in addition to, uh, to Philip before he died. Right. So I showed that in that book. Then in addition to those things, I've got a few multi-volume series coming, this one, hopefully next year. My longest term work started this in 1987, a systematic theology showing that Christ's crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection is central to all biblical prophecy and history. And that unless you understand that from a, a strictly literal, uh, biblical, literal standpoint, there are things that you literally cannot understand in relation to the tribulation week, for example, and the great tribulation, mm -hmm. in relation to biblical history. There's a lot of things that knowing that is uh, opens up for us, and that comes out in these last two volumes of this series. So that's more advanced than other systematic theologies, but the layperson can read it just fine. It's written for the layperson to understand it. Um, oh, that's an incredible amount. It will challenge a lot of seminary professors. Yeah. There's a lot of knowledge in here that they do not know themselves, biblically, all laid out. So that's that series. There's a series called Israel, quote-unquote, Peace, and the coming world war that's mentioned here, it's going to be retitled by the time it's published. But it's a multi-volume series that is the Middle East-centric counterpart to this book mm -hmm. right here. So this is the Asian-centric and European-centric piece of that. These books and that series show how prophecy is developing on the world stage. It's the, it's the I want to say newspaper exegesis, but it's the real newspaper exegesis for these things with the scripture backing it, showing how the things, for example, laid out in that MHT series, the Messiah history, and the yeah. Tribulation period series, how that theology is actually being worked out on the ground in current events in relation to the Tribulation week, in this book and in that coming series. There's another book coming that is basically done, it just needs a cover and a little bit more work, mentioned here as well, on the Exodus from Egypt. And in that book, I identify the pharaohs of ancient Israel's history, including who adopted Moses, his adoptive mother's name, what his name was in, in ancient Egypt, you know, rather than just Moshe. I identify Joseph and who his pharaoh was in ancient Egypt. They're all identified in that book, except maybe one pharaoh, but I probably identified him too, uh, showing when the Exodus happened that it's all historical meant to show Israel's own uh, archaeologists and so forth that it's all literal actual history, that the Exodus was real, that the promised land really does belong to Israel by God's deed and promise. So, well, okay. that is coming in the near future.
got a couple minutes left. So I just wanted to say mm -hmm. thank you so much for giving all thank this you. information. And you have all these great books that are going to be loaded with information. Do you have the one with the depopulation that you mentioned already finished, or is that coming? It's about two-thirds done. Okay. Um, it won't cool. come out until after the second edition of the Antichrist Nikep T, that book on the Mark of the Beast. Yeah. That last day's polemic. Those three things will come out very quickly uh, well, next year after after the second edition of the Antichrist Nikep T, and then the depopulation agenda book will come out. Mm -hmm. And then either late next year or in the first half of 2024, the Solar Apocalypse series, my other multivolume series will come out where I give the real information and evidence on so-called aliens and non-terrestrial life elsewhere in our solar system. And this series is hugely significant because another thing that it does is it overturns macroevolutionary astrophysics. It makes all the models that astrophysicists claim and try to use for a billions of years old solar system impossible in one fell swoop. I destroy modern macro modern macroevolutionary astrophysics with this series with hard evidence so well, this is a big you, deal series but i wanted to say again thank you yeah. so much and i do want to be able to talk to you again about the mark of the beast yeah. the population and other wonderful topics that you've written about so i'm hoping to uh, do another podcast with you